Okay, so this is our Bible study for December 17th, 2006. Um, unfortunately, I lost the one for last week. I tried to divide it up a little bit, tried to edit it a little bit, and it just dumped the whole thing. So, unfortunately, we're going to be skipping a week here, um, if you're hearing this on the uh, internet. But, um, I got so much to cover this week, I don't really even know where to begin. Um, several things came up on the internet. Um, and um, I'm just going to try to cover as much as I can today here, some very interesting things. Uh, I'm going to probably start out with the uh, this particular current event first. Um, and it's entitled, The U.S. Army Announces the Readiness for Total Military Takeover of America. Now, this is from thearmytimes.com. Now, this isn't, this isn't some Christian or some patriot group. This is from the Army. Okay, they're saying this. It says, Intelligent analysts have reported today that the final steps toward full military dictatorship of the United States have now been taken, with the United States Army announcing that the USAR North, this is this this uh, part in the Army, this, this uh, department in the Army, that it has reached full operational capacity. Now, this was, now the date this came out was October 17th, so I, I, I can't say that this came out this week, but I did find out about it this week, and it's, and it's very pertinent as today as it was two months ago. It says, the USAR North is responsible for specific missions, including ex executing homeland defense. Now, who are they going to defend against? Who, who's here to defend? The illegal aliens? That's who they should be going after. No, I think they're in reference to more people like you and I, uh, more people that would want to uphold the Constitution, uh, Bible believers, things of this nature. Um, we would be considered enemy combatants, really. Uh, we would be considered against the evil things that George Bush is doing. And that's who they're going to target. Execute homeland defense and defense support of civil authorities and missions. Provide training and readiness oversight of certified weapons of mass destruction and support teams. Conduct army-to-army portion of the theater cooperation mission with Canada and Mexico. Now, what does that mean? Army to army? The theater? Well, the theater is going to be Canada, Mexico, and the United States. We're going to have one currency. It's going to call the Amero. That's what our currency... They, you got, they got the Euro over in Europe. We're going to have the Amero. They're going to take down all the borders between Mexico and Canada. The illegal aliens are going to be able to come over here totally freely. It's going to dilute us even further. Our currency is going to be further devalued. And it's going to be like the New World Order. It, it's what's coming. And it's slated for, really, I think, no later than 2010. Um, conduct Army-to-Army -army portion of the theater. Now, the Army-to-Army -army portion is going to be where the Army has to come basically door-to-door -to, -door to, uh, to get rid of the riffraff, is what I believe. Uh, coordinate the activities of defense. Coordinated officers and their elements assigned to each federal emergency management agency region. That's FEMA. And they're as evil as you could possibly get. Now, I've got, I have this in my PowerPoint presentation. Two things you can check out. On January 14, 2005, Department of Army document entitled Army Regulation 210-35, Installations and Civilian Inmate Labor Program. Civilian Inmate Labor Program? Installations? Well, these are the prison camps. They've already got set up. They're there. Over 600. In America, they're already there. They've just got a skeleton crew just waiting to be filled right now. Um, it's kind of funny. They don't have enough prison space, particularly in California and a lot of these places, for prisoners. I know I've seen documentaries on it, yet they've got these big open 
prison camps sitting empty? Hmm, I wonder who they're going to put in there. So, this is, uh, they're going to put you in there, maybe put you to work if they don't kill you right away. So, this, these are that. Uh, this was Secretary of Army. This, you can actually go online and read this 34-page document. I got the link to go to here. Uh, then, then there's another one, M Military Police Internment and Resettlement Operations. Field Manual 313-19.40. This is, again, from the headquarters of the Department of Army, Washington, D.C., you can go read this one, too. It's right online. Um, so, there, it really, really coordinate a lot of this with the Army. Um, according to these reports, the first of the USAR North plans for total military takeover of the United States from its few remaining civilian overseers rest with a new series of draconian laws recently enabled by their top military leaders and which, among other things, suspends the right of habeas corpus for Americans and which the American military leaders have ordered their courts to disallow, and can read as reported by the Washington Post. Um, there's an article entitled, Court Told It Lacks Power in Detainee Cases. In other words, these people, if you get detained at one of these camps, you're not going to have any rights at all. You're not going to, your rights are out the window. Okay. Moving quickly to implement the bill signed by President Bush this week that authorizes military trials of enemy combatants, the administration has formally notified the U.S. District Court that there is no longer has jurisdiction to consider hundreds of habeas corpus petitions filed by inmates in Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Now, it starts with them, but it's going to end with us. I mean, it, what they're doing is, is, they're, is they're, they're, they're implementing it one place, and once they implement it one place, it's a lot easier to implement everywhere. And that's what they're doing. Um... Anyone who has hoped that the U.S. military detention of Americans accused of terrorism expired with the transfer of American citizen Joseph Padilla from military custody have seen their hopes dashed by the Military Commissions Act that the President signed into law yesterday. Now, I, I, I don't know if, I think I went over the Military Commissions Act a week ago or two weeks ago uh, that President Bush signed into uh, law. This, the act limits, the act limits to foreign citizens, the use of military tribunals, and the denial of habeas corpus. Any person, including American citizens, can still be labeled and treated as an unlawful enemy combatant in the war of terrorism. Well, that's what I'd be. Well, why? Why would I be that? Well, because I've tried to expose 9-11, because I've tried to expose Bush, so I'm a terrorist in their eyes. I'm a terrorist because I because you know I want to put out truth. Because I've wanted to expose what really happened in 9-11. Because I've wanted to expose all, all the wicked... You know who the terrorist is? Bush and Cheney and our government. They're the terrorists, not me. But the Bible says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Well, woe unto them. They can kill me. They can, do, they can send me to heaven. Whatever. But, you know something? They're the ones that are going to have to burn in the lake of fire for eternity. That's the, that's the bottom line. That's how I'm looking at this. Now, I'm not wanting that for them. I pray to God if it be possible that their souls would be saved. I really do. But, you know something? These, these people are devils. And most of the time, devils don't end up getting saved. The Bible says, few there be that find it, meaning heaven. And even fewer, if you're, all, you're an out-and-out -out devil. Well, they're, they're everything, but they're everything um, in that definition. The government's position is that since the entire world is in a battlefield in which the war on terrorism is being waged, U.S. officials now have the power to arrest any American suspected of terrorism, place him in military custody, and subject him to the same unlawful enemy combatant treatment that Padilla received 
until the war on terrorism has finally been won. Well, that's never, ever going to happen. You know when the war on terrorism is finally going to be won during the millennium? That's it. None of it's going to get better until then. President Bush, on Tuesday, signed the law that legalizes the administration's shameful treatment of detainees suspected in terrorism. The same measure also empowers the president to define torture. Now, we're going to have a monster defining what torture is? Oh, yeah. It's a sad legacy for America, and it's already tarnished world image. The far-reaching legislation gives Bush the right to decide what constitutes torture. Well, when you have the devil deciding what can constitute torture, don't you think anything's going to go? It ain't going to matter. The president has often said, we do not torture, despite evidence to the contrary. The photographs from the infamous Abu Dhabi Garab prison as well. The president can also set guidelines for interrogation of prisoners. White House spokesman Tony Snow declined to say whether waterboarding, in which it, well, this is a torture where they make you feel like you're drowning, would be permissible. Under the new law, the president also has extraordinary powers to designate who is an illegal enemy combatant, which potentially subjects U.S. citizens and foreigners to indefinite detention, to which there's no appeal. See, I'm just waiting. For me, I, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to go in. I, I, I mean, that's how I'm looking at it, because I'm, I'm up on the Internet doing so much, and I just can't shut my mouth. I just can't do it. I mean, I, I used, the, the emails I put out yesterday, that right there could get me in. In, in this, but I just, I just, I don't know, there's something in me that, that just will not let me stop exposing this, because I just don't see anybody else really up on the internet who are Christians really taking a hard stand on the Now, I see a lot of Alex Joneses up there, and these guys, um, and I'm not saying all Christians, because that wouldn't be the, the case either, but so much of the time they're getting a little bit into it, but they're not getting, they're, they're putting their, their little toe in the water, but they're not getting in the water. You know, and this is something that needs to be exposed. Um, so it says, um, under the new law, the president has extraordinary powers to designate who is an illegal enemy combatant, which potentially, which potentially subjects U.S. citizens and foreign to indefinite detention with no power to appeal. Bush is also allowed to interpret the Geneva Convention on Humane Treatment of Prisoners of War. Oh, that's great. Helen Thomas referenced to the military, American military leader standing on the dock. Which, okay, now hold on. By, one of the reasons Bush sought a green light from the lawmakers is to have the Congress stand with him in the dock. Malinsky added, the Military Commissions Act is law, and all Americans will be tainted by it. And that's a quote. Now, what does this mean, all these, all these military leaders standing on the dock with Bush? What does that mean? I'm going to tell you. Helen Thomas is reference to the American military leaders standing on the dock, which means standing trial for war crimes and crimes against humanity. Rings truer than ever with the decision of the International Committee of the Red Cross issued its only, its second only ever. Now, you got to really understand the, what this means. Bush is, Bush is doing all of this stuff Okay, so he's enacting all this legislation to totally take away our rights, to strip us of everything we could, and, and, and to be able to throw us in prison, torture us, kill us, do whatever he wants. And he knows he's a war criminal. From what he's done over in Iran and Iraq, or I, Iran in particularly, or is that Iraq? Iraq, yeah. And um, all the stuff he's done to his own people here, he knows he's a war criminal. Well, he wants, he wants everybody to be standing on the dock with him. I mean, he wants to be able to 
See, he figures the more people he's implicated and used in the scheme, the more people will have to cover him and 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 go down the chutes. If he's going to go down the tubes, they're going to go down the tubes, okay? He And he, know, he knows that, okay? So, it said that the Red Cross, the International Committee of the Red Cross, issued for the second time ever in history a concern regarding the actions of the United States. The first concern was issued by the International Committee of the Red Cross in 1944 over the Nazi German treatment of concentration camp detainees. That was the only other time they've ever had a concern. And now, they're, now they come out again the second time ever, and it's about America and about Bush. Um, that's pretty, not really good company that you want to be in. Um, so this is what we're facing here. And then also not understood by American people or how their young children are currently being trained by ministers of the North American Union, as um, World Daily Net News subscribers have read. The article entitled, North American Students Trained for Merger, which says, in another example of the way the three nations of North America are being drawn into a federation or merger, students from ten, emer ten universities in the U.S. and Mexico and Canada are participating annually in a simulated model parliament. See, there's going to be like a parliament for Canada, America, and Mexico. And it's going to be like the United Nations, kind of. Okay? And um, they're trying to train our kids in this whole mindset that they're going to be able to accept this. Okay? There's going to be no sovereignty of nations, nothing like that. Um, and then it goes on to say here, to those dwindling numbers of Americans aware of the total destruction of this nation that's coming, and the way of life ever harsher measures to destroy all dissent were outlined to them in this past week by their military leaders. And we could read in the, as reported by these various sources, as reported by Reuters News Service, October 17th, an article entitled, The Web, meaning the Internet, could be a terror training camp. This is from Chertoff. Now, he's the head of uh, with Homeland Security. He's evil. This man's, he's evil. Um, but now they're going to say the, the, the Internet is going to be the terror training camp. He, this Chertoff says, disaffected people living in the, in the United States may develop radical ideologies. Well, I think that's what we've got here, a little bit. Radical ideology and potentially violent skills over the Internet that could pre present the next U.S. major security threat. U.S. Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff said, money, we now have a capability of someone to radicalize themselves over the Internet. Chertoff said on the sidelines of a meeting, well, I'd definitely be considered pretty radical. The one thing about me is that I don't have hardly any mu much of an Internet presence. I don't have a website anymore at all. Uh, my, my ISP provider went down the other day and they just jumped ship. So, um, FBI Robert Mueller on Tuesday called Internet service providers to record their customers' online activities, a move that anticipates a fierce debate over privacy. As reported by an American dissident writer, Chris Floyd, um, the report entitled Sentimental Education, Academia Signs Up for Tracking Down Dissent, and says, why is the United States government spending millions of dollars to track down critics of George W. Bush in the press? Hmm. I don't know. I wonder why. To the greater... And, you know, so I pray against this man. I really do. I pray against him. I pray against his cabinet. I pray against the Illuminati. I do. I pray... I, I, but you go to the average church and say, oh, pray for President Bush that he has strength. I, I, why? Strength, strength to bring the country down? Spring, strength to destroy us? 
power to, to destroy people? I'm not going to pray for that. He's a devil. I'm going to pray that that devil be exposed. And if it be possible, his soul be saved. But I don't think it's possible. I don't even... You really want to know what I think about Bush, you know. I'm sorry. Uh, the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. By their fruit. By their fruit. He's worse than Clinton because he says he's a born-again Christian. At least Clinton was a devil. I mean, granted, Clinton supposedly came out of a Baptist church or whatever, but Clinton didn't go around espousing to be a born-again Christian. Did you? So, we go on. It says, to greater... To the greater of these issues, though, remains the fact that the total destruction of America today has long been planned and even is now in its final stages. To the many warning signs put before these American people, and they have been many, and perhaps none more chilling than a simple letter sent from the U.S. Congressman Bill Hefner to a constituent of his North Carolina, written in 1997, which says the following, quote, Enclosed is the information you requested pertaining to the Army's policy and guidance for establishing civilian inmate labor programs and civilian prison camps on Army installations. The information has not yet been published and is currently at the printers. However, I, it has been funded, staffed, and does reflect current Army policy. I hope you find this information useful. And then I, you know, I've already, I've already read you the, um, uh, the, these two articles by the Army. Uh, and what I want to do on, um, New Year's Eve uh, night is I want to watch that Freedom to Fascism. I got a DVD. I got the DVD. We can watch it. And it's going to give you a really good big picture of what's going on here um, in this country. So, anyway, I don't want to dwell on that the whole time. Because if you start dwelling on that, you, you're, you're going to go, you're going to drive yourself nuts. God's still in control. God's still on the throne. Um... You know, I don't know what the fate of everybody uh, is going to be. I'm sure martyrdom is going to be in the future for some. Some may be called out. Some may some may stay fight. I don't know. That's a that's the Lord's business. It really is. It's the Lord's business. Whatever God convicts you to do, uh, whatever God, whatever doors, he, just make sure He's the one opening the doors. It's really the big thing. Is make sure it's it's the Lord that's doing it. Um, touch on that. We were just talking about um, our experiences in the churches that we've been in that, you know, it's it's a common experience, particularly an independent fundamental Baptist church. Well, really any church probably go to. Oh, pray for President Bush. He's a godly man. All this other things. And in and, and these types of things, they're just ignoring so much, which is what drives me crazy um, about the whole thing. But my prayer also for these, for these men is that the fear of God would be on rest on them like a thick cloud, and that all their witchcraft, if that's what they're into, and I believe this is what we're dealing with, very, very high level witchcraft, I pray to God it all be stripped from them. I pray to God everything that they've done evil, that's been perpetuated, would be exposed. Uh, I'm not going to pray for the devil to be blessed. I'm not going to do it. I don't think there's any scriptural warrant for that. You know, uh, that, well, that's, oh no, bless them that curse you, curse those, well, okay, but, but we don't want to bless them so that they can go live like the devil more. What's the best blessing you could possibly have? Getting saved. That's the best one. It's the only one that really matters. Um, a million years from now, it's the only thing that's going to really matter, okay? So, whatever it takes for somebody to drive somebody to repentance is my prayer. Because anything apart from up until the time when they get saved, what does it matter? What does it really matter? Well, you know, 
Well, yes, but but they they you you blessed them and they went and they they burned in hell for eternity. Well, what good have you really done them? Not only that, then okay, let's say that that we got a devil like the president, for instance, and he's not going to get saved. Okay, which is you know pretty sure that's going to be the scenario here. Well, what if by God dealing with him? What if by God stripping him of everything, of every uh, uh, evil? devil, witchcraft, power he's emanated through, what if, by God dealing with him, judging him, dealing with him in this life, many people would see that event and say, ooh, I fear God now. Oh, isn't that Psalm 64? But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider of his doing. And then what does it say? It says, the righteous shall be glad and shall rejoice and all the upright in heart shall glory. Well, that sounds like a good thing. And how did it happen? It happened through God's judgment. That's why the Bible says in Hosea chapter 2, it says, I will give thee the valley of Achor for a door of hope. What happened in the valley of Achor? They stoned and they, they destroyed Achan and his whole family because he had brought those things in from um, Jericho and it brought sin into the camp. Well, how could that be good? I mean, how could you say the valley of Achor is a door of hope? Because through that judgment on Achor and his family, they were able to go into the promised land, possess it, and win the rest of the battles. God's, well, isn't that the most merciful thing then? Well, it didn't seem that merciful to Achan, but you know what? Achan was the one that brought the sin into the camp. And because he did that, because God judged him, because God did that to him, all men saw and feared and declared the work of God. They were actually able to go into the promised land and possess it. Good things came out of it. Achan was most likely hell-bound hell anyway, evidently. When Ananias and Sapphira were stoned, great fear fell upon the, those, and, and then many were added. And God's name was glorified. Well, that sounds like good things. Oh, but the thing is, is we as humans in our flesh don't look at it so much of the times that way, especially the typical modern church, because, oh, no, no, that's, that's like slaughterhouse religion. That's no good. We don't, we don't want to talk about Ananias and Sapphira or Achan or any good that could have come out of that. What is that? It's the fear of God. You keep reading in, Je in like Jeremiah and all of the Old Testament particularly, and even the New, and it said that, that the reason men depart from the Lord typically is that there's no fear of God in them. There's no fear of God. So then they depart from God. And then they end up getting off into the devil. And then they go and they rot in hell. So what's better? Fear of God, God chastening you in this lifetime, or God judging you in this lifetime so you could get right. What's more merciful, that or burning to hell for eternity? I don't think there's any question here. But see, what I would be viewed as is somebody that's maybe hateful or whatever. I'm not hateful. I, I'm, I'm putting out truth. I'm putting out God's truth. And God is a God of balance. He's got judgment and He's got mercy. And it's in, in God's balance. It's not just always oh, all love. He's, 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 you know, he's not the big guy in the sky. He's not up there. He's not your good buddy that, that's just there to placate you and your sin and love you no matter what you do. And he loves the homosexuals and he loves you just the way. And we're going to talk about that in one second. There's a price. There's a price for all that. Um, along that note, I think it's good to bring this up. I got this, um, where did I see this? Um, I'm trying to remember how I, how I got this this week. I don't even remember how I got this. But, um, or did I see it on the TV? 
Yeah, I think I saw some advertisement. I don't even remember how I saw this, actually. I don't know if I saw it on the internet. But it was, I saw this thing, and it was advertisement for one punk under God. One punk under God. Now, I'm just going to pass this around real quick. Don't, don't, don't really read anything, because we don't really have time. I just want you to see those pictures. That's, that's the one punk under God. Now, now he's now. Bear in mind, this man's a Christian. Now he's got his own church. He's got his own church, so he's he's got to be the real deal. Yeah, he's a Revolution Church, Lisa. Revolution Church. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about this man right now. It's the same guy. I, I tried to get a couple good pictures of them. I did a keyword search for them, and I got these pictures of them. There's there's so many more. These are just two of the best. Yeah, he's got his own church, Taylor. I mean, can't you see he looks like a godly man, don't he? Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, this man, you talk about sound doctrine. Oh, where do you hear what he preaches? <laughs> But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Well, all you got to do is look at this person. All you got to do is look at him and know that he's not operating in truth. Okay, so he would be one of these teachers that these people would, would turn away from sound doctrine on, and they will turn away their ears from truth and turn to fables, because the only thing that's going to come out of his mouth is going to be lies. Period. Unless he repented. Okay? First Timothy 4, 1 and 2, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You think that he's given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? He's covered with tattoos. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience sealed with a hot iron. You can go see the one punk under God commercial. I went and saw it. In fact, I gave a link to it. They could go see it. It's about a 30 second commercial. You know who this is? Old Jim Baker's boy. Jim and Tammy Faye. That's their son. Yeah. But you know, by their fruit you shall know them. He did a good job raising them, didn't he? Didn't he do a good job? Yeah. He really did. Yep. Now I'm not saying that you couldn't raise, be a godly person and try to raise your kid right and have the kid turn out bad. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that obviously we know there's been a lot of problems. Um, I mean, th this is just incomprehensible to me. He's got a, I like, I like his lip ring too. That's that's a nice touch. It's it's a nice touch. It really is. So yeah, he's got the one punk under God commercial. Interview. Now this is an interview by MotherJones.com. Now, this is not not a Christian interview, okay? Now, there's no cussing in here, but it's not a Christian interview, so bear that in mind. Interview with the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, who says, Jesus loves you, tattoos and all. On a good Sunday, Jay Baker, now this is his name, Jay Baker, storefront in Brooklyn, may attract as many as 30 worshipers. That's all right with Baker, the founder and pastor, he's a pastor, uh, of Revolution, a non-denominational congregation that might be described as an anti-megachurch. Intimacy trumps grandeur at this church for people who have given up on church. It's got its start in an Atlanta bar. Oh, that's a good place. You know, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Oh, he built on a good foundation, at least. The Atlanta bar. 
Luring wayward skaters and punks with the gospel of ultimate grace. Now, this is ultimate grace. Now, the Bible says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.11. Okay, we know that. But this is ultimate grace. This is going beyond that. Okay? What is this ultimate grace? A come-as-you-are theology that holds that God loves you, combat boots, body art, and all. Now, I'm not saying somebody that was wearing combat boots, body art, and all, couldn't get saved. I'm not saying that. But, once you get saved, there should be a change in your demeanor, in your attitude, in your action, in your dress. If you're, I mean, if you're live, if you're dressing like the devil, there shouldn't be a change. I mean, if you're already dressing in a suit, coat, and tie, or whatever, or whatever you're, or appropriately, I should say, well, yeah, maybe you're not going to see a radical change in dress. But you think somebody like this, you know, with the tattoos, and the Bible says clear about not marking your body. You know that most tattoo artists, from, from the research I've seen, are Satanists. And when they, they give you a tattoo, their needles are blessed. They bless their needles. Because when you get that tattoo, you're not just getting the tattoo, you're getting the big fat demon attached with it. Whatever's associated with that ink that they're using. They bless the ink, they bless the needles. It's, it's, it's well known. Um, we just had a comment that, that um, a neighbor that was known was... Um, said that, and he was covered in tattoos, said that w once you go to get one tattoo, you it's like you have this immediate desire to go back and get more and more. And this is this in and of itself is why it's addictive, but it's a demonic addiction. It's it's like hard liquor. It's like it's like crack. It's it's that way. And and you're marking your body and you're giving these devils a right to possess you, really is what it's about. And from that standpoint, that's why it's addictive. So um, Baker, a pierced and heavily tatted 31-year-old, that means tattooed, takes a casual yet passionate approach in his role delivering sermons with such titles as Nobody Likes a Selfish Bastard, that's one of his titles. Jesus, a friend of porn stars, that's another one of his messages. Another one is Gay Doesn't Equal Sin. Yeah. Yeah, I put that one in there special because I went and looked at these titles because you can go listen to them and I wasn't even going to... I don't have the time to waste. But that was one of his message titles. Gay doesn't equal sin. And then and then the last one, Galatians, baby. That was the, the last one. A revolution, a modest message, an alternative aesthetic are a far cry from the glitzy religious empire built by Baker's parents, televangelist Jim and Tammy Faye. At the high, in the early 80s, their Praise the Lord ministry boasted 13 million viewers. Now, I don't know if you know this, Tammy Faye is on her deathbed right now. She's just about ready to die, if she hasn't died already. She's got breast cancer, or lung, or something like that. Um, it all came crashing down in 97 amidst a sex scandal and accusations of greed and embezzlement. The Bakers divorced, Jim went to prison for fraud, Tammy, Tammy Faye's tear-streaked mascara and fake eyelashes became a punchline. Jay Baker, who was 11 at the time, hit the bottle. Hit the bottle at 11? Hey, Taylor, you going to hit the bottle? When things get going bad? <laughs> he dropped out of high school and felt that God had forsaken him. You know, if there's something that, that, that's going to happen that's going to make you give up on God, don't be surprised if that's the very thing that will happen to you, because God will test your faith. He will. He wants to know who's his kid and who's not his kid. Well, that's not nice. That's not fair. Well, God is the one that's his business. He separates the wheat from the chaff, not me. 
That's the way he does it. When you go through a really nasty, dark trial, do you draw closer to God or do you, do, do you pull away from God and blame God? Well, that's a pretty good indicator if you're a Christian or not. It really is. I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm not saying I'm so holy. All I can tell you is that the darkest times I've ever been through in my life, all I wanted to do is curl up in a fetal position like a little child and get as close to God as I could possibly get because I knew I couldn't do it myself. Okay? Now, if you have the opposite attitude where you're like, well... You get mad at God, and and, 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 and you want to walk away. Now, I'm not saying that that can't happen on a temporary basis where you get mad, because I've gotten mad at God. I'm not saying I haven't. But I'm talking about if you can do it and stay in that thing and have no conscience about it and say, I'm just giving up on God. He's done this to me. How dare he? If he was a loving God, he would never do this to me. And you just stay in that thing. I'm sorry. How's the Holy Spirit live inside you? Won't the Holy Spirit at least eventually start convicting you of your heir, I mean, I'm, I'm so, that's that's the way I think the Bible is is clear on that. So we go and it says Baker's Quiet Revolution, which is the subject of one punk under God. What is this one punk under God? Well, it's a six-part documentary series that debuts on Sundance Channel tonight. The series catches Baker at a crossroads. You know something? He's not at a crossroad. He's went down the road to the devil. He's went the broad way which leadeth to destruction. He's obviously went that way. Look what, take one look at him. See what he preaches. He's at a crossroad? He's not at a crossroad. Well, the occult crossroad, we're going to talk about that too. I don't know if we're going to get to that today, but that's a whole other subject. A whole other rabbit trail, what a crossroad means. He's not no crossroads. Has... The first episode opens, his Atlanta... Now, this is the first episode of One Punk Under God. His Atlanta church is humming along nicely, but he wants to officially... But, and that he wants to officially accept gays and lesbians. Jay, you know, you are so standing on the Word of God. You really are. You are taking that stance that just, you know, few pastors will take. Come one, come all. Gay and all. Ta See, why? Well, because he's got to justify his own sin. And if he's not a gay or a lesbian, which I wouldn't be surprised one bit, think about it. Misery loves company. If you're deeply caught in sin, don't you want to be around other peoples that, that are maybe even worse than you? Wouldn't that make you feel better about yourself? Wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, think about it. If, if, at least, let's say, let's give him this. Let's say he's not gay. Okay? Wouldn't it at least make you feel better... Um, if, if you weren't gay and you said, well, no, we, we need to be holier than this. I mean, knowing that you're a devil, knowing that you've got tattoos all over you, knowing probably the lifestyle this guy lives, knowing the blasphemy that comes out of his mouth during every service, knowing what, what he probably does on a day-to-day -day basis and, 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 and just turns the other cheek and, and, and says, oh, this isn't sin. It would make you feel pretty good if you said, oh, well, gays and lesbians, we need to accept them because that makes me feel like I'm a good person, I'm holy, I'm accepting and and, and you know something? I'm even more holy than, than God because I can accept them and God can't. That's what these people do. Isn't that what we just, that, that letter I said from the Prophecy Club? It's almost as though these people try to elevate themselves above God. But see, God is the one that sets the standards, not us. So these people try to set their own standards that are more liberal than God's and always more unholy than God's, and then they, but yet they call it that they're such good people. But he wants to officially accept gays and lesbians in the church. A move that threatens his relationship with his financial backers. Could you imagine?
can you imagine getting, let's say, let's say best case scenario, one of these financial backers was, was a Christian. Let's, let's do rubber meets the road stuff. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think they're all going to hell. I really do. I think if you would be so delusioned to financially back this man, how could you be going to heaven? How could you be so deceived and still go to heaven? But let's say, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say he was. He gets the judgment seat of Christ. God's given him all this money. And he's, he's sown it into this devil ministry. He's going to have to give an account for that. You talk about wood, hay, and stubble. You talk about being saved, yet so is by fire. Now, that's best case scenario for those people. What's worst case scenario? Great white throne judgment. He, 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 whom, um, he whom is given much, much is expected. And he's going to be without excuse. He's not going to be able to say, well, I didn't know. I, I, no, don't, don't give me that. You, all, you had eyes. That's all you needed. All you needed was eyes. So, this, this move might threaten his relationship with his financial backers. Boy, I, you know, uh, I, hope, uh, I hope I don't say anything out of line, because uh, I might lose all my financial backing, you know. I've been saving up for that globe for a long time, Doug, and I need that globe. I need that globe behind me like Smiley Joe's got, Osteen. I need that stadium. Can I at least get a tent? Something? Sawdress Trail? I don't care. I'll go back to the old times. I, I want some notoriety here. I want some I want some honorary doctorates and degrees in theologian stuff. You know what you can have on the globe? Um you can um you can have you screaming like this and point your finger like that. Yeah, that would be good. That'd be really good. Yeah, I mean I, I need some of that. I really do. So it says a conservative, um, the, this financial backer and, and the co-founder is a conservative. A conservative? How could a conservative? His name's Boomer, who, who's been a father figure. One punk under God reveals the human side of a godly man with superhuman aspirations. Superhuman? What's that about? Jay Baker spoke with Mother Jones by phone from Brooklyn. This is when, where the interview was. Now, and this is, the, he wrote a book, The Son of a Preacher Man. My Search for Grace in the Shadows, Jay Baker, son of Jim, Jim and Tammy Fett. It shows him here. He's got, his, he's got his lip ring and his tattoos. He's always got to have his tattoo of Jesus prominently displayed on his arm. That's, that's the cover of his book. It should be one devil, the son of a devil man. No, I'll, I'll show you later. And then now, then we go further, and and uh, I found this doing some research on this. And this is Jim Baker gets me remarried. Did you know Jim Baker got remarried? Oh yeah, he got remarried. Now his wife looks like it should be his daughter, which is pretty typical. You ever, if you're ever flipping through any of these channels, watching documentaries or whatever, and and you see they've always got these these drug commercials. Like this one for Avidart, or, or, or these, these ED, these erectile dysfunction commercials that they have for men. You notice they always portray the men with women half their age. Every one of these men, like, you know, there's some fair riding a ride somewhere, and, and, you know, he doesn't have to deal with this problem anymore because the drugs corrected it. And he's with some women half his age. Every one of these commercials. It's unbelievable. Well, this looks like the same deal. I mean... Wow, Jim, what are you doing there, Jim? Your daughter's pretty. Yeah, she's, oh, that's my wife. Oh, sorry. 
You can go to his website right now, www.jimbakershow.com. He's got his own show again now. So you can um, you can sow into that ministry. Associated with the Ameri American Evangelical Association, Jim Baker's new TV show. Website sells out gimmick trinkets and, of course, sells those sending those donations, people. Now, here's the trinket you can get if you send in your money. No weapon medallion and chain. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper, Isaiah 54, 17. And it's, what it, you know what it is? It's a dog tag. And it's, it's like a real looking army dog tag from like the 60s or 50s. And it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, Isaiah. And, and that's what you can get. This no weapon formed against you chain and medallion makes a great gift for all ages. Wear this medallion as a reminder of God's promise. Uh, get your free no weapon chain and medallion now. Call us and just ask for a no weapon chain and medallion. Now, become a partner, donation monthly. Be a partner of this television miracle. Now, for uh, you can be in the Jubilee Club for fifty bucks a month, or the World Changers Club for a hundred dollars a month, the Debt Busters Club for a hundred dollars, Debt Busters, and the Great Commission Club for a thousand a month. Now, that's going to set you back a little bit there, Nonette. I, I already signed you up. I didn't want to say anything. I, I figured you'd, you'd want to go for that. Yeah, I. I and you can do this right online. You, you've got the little buttons here. You can click and make your your. Any donation size you want. Jim Baker's still a free will Pentecostal preacher. He has really changed. It appears that he's still up to his old gimmicks and living in the limelight, selling himself and his ego. Yeah. They. <laughs> there, there's the wedding picture of the good couple. We were just talking about Tammy Faye a little bit more, and, and one of the reasons that the gay community absolutely just reveres. I mean, Tammy Faye is considered like an icon in the gay community. They absolutely love. She has been the gay. Um, she's been um, the uh, um, the uh, parade marshal at several gay parades. Um, she's been, at, and, and the reason, one of the main reasons, the main reason is she's caught somebody that that they view as maybe fallen from grace or whatever, and yet she still loves the gay people and doesn't condemn their lifestyle one bit, basically says God loves everybody and nothing's bad. So that, they want that. They want to hear that they, can, that they can live like the devil and still go to heaven. That's one of the reasons she'd be so popular. And she's so fake and phony. And in a, in a way, gay people are too. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the, the, the image they try to put on and portray and, and all those other things, you know, they like that. They, they, I think there's kindred spirits there. I really do. I think that's one of the reasons why they get along so good. Now, um, I'm just going to get into this real quick. Um, I told you about a little bit about this the other day, um, but I didn't. I didn't finish the story on the Golden Fleece. Okay, the, the, I'm just. This is a little side note. I've got a. Uh, Hold on real quick. Okay, so we're gonna we're continuing here. I had to split the message here, but we're continuing um, on this is our December seventeenth uh, message two thousand and six and I had a uh, a lady who's a uh, on my email list, I know her, and actually, she's a dear lady, but the problem is that, that I see in today in Christendom, 
is that um, there's a lot of very sincere, nice people, and a lot of times they're very sincerely deceived. And um, I heard this story, and I really didn't know when I first heard it. I, it kind of caught me off guard, and I had to really research this a little bit more to understand what was going on here. And I'm going to try to to recreate this as accurately as I can. And I'm saying this because, again, this is like one of those lest we be ignorant of saying devices. This is a very good example of this. Um, this lady was married to a man uh, that evidently uh, just totally ran around on her constantly. I mean, just cheated on her, did everything you could possibly imagine. We're talking, it was really, really, really bad. And this was all under the guise of them all being born-again Christians, Okay. Now, I believe she went to some kind of pretty radical Pentecostal church. And, uh, now I know I've been there, done that, so, uh, Taylor, stop that. Um, so, I, um, she said that there was this one lady, very, 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 the most godly lady in the church. And she had went and she had confided to this godly lady about this, this affair, this ongoing affairs that her husband had been having. I mean, we're talking, this man's sick. He's, he's having sex with, with underage girls, and, I mean, he's, he's addicted, okay, he's, he's, he's really, um, not good, and, um, what ended up happening is, uh, this, this godly, the, the, the most godly woman in the whole church finally told her, she says, oh, you have to, you have to plead the golden fleece over him, the golden fleece? I said, I said, no, no, no. What she was saying, I corrected her. I says, no, you mean she wanted you to put out a fleece about whether maybe God wanted you to stay with him or not or what to do on this matter? I can understand that. If you threw out a fleece, like Gideon did, what was that about? Well, in the Bible, Gideon wanted to know an answer from God. And, and Now, I don't advise you doing this every day, but I think there's some applications where, where maybe this could be applicable if the Lord convicted you. And he said, God, he says, if you want me to, to do this thing that I believe you've already convicted me of, basically, I'm going to put this fleece out, and I want when I get up, I don't want there to be any dew on it. And he knew normally there would be dew on it. Well, he did that, and there was no dew. And then, and then he says, okay, God, I, I, want, I want there to be dew on it in the morning. So he kept going back and forth with God, okay? Now, that's called putting out a fleece, okay? If you hear that in a Christian term, that's basically saying... Okay, God, if you want me to do this, then I want you to do this. Now, again, you've got to be very careful with this one. Very, very, very careful. Because this isn't something... This isn't just a way to live your life, where you're constantly throwing out fleeces to God. I mean, most of the time, the answers are already here. Okay? Um, so, I'm saying... I'm qualifying what I'm saying here, is that if you were to do that, make sure God's the one that's convicted you of it, and not the devil. Because the devil could use that thing like you want to believe. Well, this wasn't that kind of fleece, because I, I emailed her all of the scriptures on the fleece. And she's like, no, she says, that's not what it was, it was the golden fleece. I said, the golden fleece? You mean like in Greek mythology? She says, yeah, she says, that's what I was supposed to do. She said, and I pled this golden fleece over him, and within a year, what ended up happening is, after she had done this, he, he died in a horrific plane crash, her husband. I mean, he had just, in fact, her son was getting married that day. And her husband went up in, uh, I think, that morning, uh, the morning of the marriage, and w went up, they had this plane, they were very well off. 
and um, they lived on like an airfield, I believe, and got in the plane and, and zoomed over the house kind of showing off and, and clipped one of the guy wires and, and the, the plane crashed like a mile away and killed them horrifically. Okay. Now, so I'm thinking, wow, that's... I wonder if that has anything to do with pleating this golden fleece on... I mean, what is this golden fleece? I mean, what, I, I didn't... You know, all I remember is from Greek, a little bit from Greek, Greek mythology. Well, let me tell you what the golden fleece is. And when I realized this, I realized that what this woman had told her to do was witchcraft. Pentecostal witchcraft. I'm sorry, I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm not saying that all people that are Pentecostal are evil. I've been there, but almost all people that are Pentecostal, unfortunately, are deceived. Because there's spirits that go along with a lot of the stuff that, that they're getting into, that they're not realizing. And if the Pentecostals were truly as right with God as they think they are, why in the world are they the easiest of all churches for witches to infiltrate? That's well known. Because a witch can go in there and speak in her false tongue, and nobody's going to say anything about it because everybody else is doing the same thing. But they're putting curses on the people. Why is it that the Pentecostals are the ones that so buy more than any other part of Christianity the Benny Hens and the uh, Hagens and the, uh, um, the Kenneth Copeland and the all these guys, Morris Cirillo and all these guys, why are they the ones that buy those men, the men to me that are the most obvious devils out there, why are they the ones that fall so hardest for them? Why are they the very ones that are so addicted to the TV evangelists? Why is that? If, if they're the most right with God, and they think they are, because they think they're better. I've been on both sides of this argument, so I believe I'm very, 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 very qualified to render a judgment on this. I was the one speaking in tongues at one time. I was the one getting slain in the Spirit at one time. I was the one catching the people falling out in the Spirit. Listen, I was radical. I was radical, Pentecostal. So I think I've got a little bit of a right to render an opinion in this regard. You start thinking you're better because I'm doing this and the average Baptist isn't or the average Lutheran isn't. I'm better. I'm more spiritual than the... Than the come not close to me. For I am holier than thou. Where do we get that from? Isaiah. And that person that said that thing was the one that, that was the largest abomination in God's eyes. You can go there in Isaiah and read it. So, uh, it's a very, very dangerous position to put yourself in as a Pentecostal, because most of the time, from what I've seen from the people I've been around, they are the most deceived sect of Christianity. They're, they're also the ones that are coming together with the Catholics, the charismatic Catholics. Hear about them? Well, we know the Catholics are deceived. A strong, strong delusion there. Well, can you imagine? Now you're amalgamating the Pentecostals and the Catholics together. You talk about mega-strong delusion. You don't even see that happening with the, uh, the Lutherans or the Baptists yet, but the Pentecostals you do. So see, I see them being as the most deceived. They're, they're, and another reason they're so deceived is because they're open to every wind of doctrine, every prophecy, itching ears. Oh, you're going to be a mighty man of God, brother. You're going you're gonna to do this, you're going to do that. You're going to do mighty, mighty exploits. Oh, wow, wow, I like it. I like what I'm hearing. I like what I'm hearing. I'm living like the devil, but I like what I'm hearing. See, they can live like the devil and like what they hear. They normally don't ever go by the King James Bible. Some do, but most don't. So they don't have the right word of God. 
they're typically the ones that are most bound up in this praise and worship Christian rock. They're typically the ones that are most into that. I mean, I could go on and on about this. So that's, okay, let me state my case. I'm before a judge. I've just stated my case. And I could present a lot stronger case if you really want to go further. But what is this golden fleece that she was told to plead over her ex-husband? Now, I'm not saying God didn't need to take that man to the woodshed. Because obviously he needed to take that guy to the woodshed. Real, real bad. But this man died and went to hell. Is what happened. I don't, I don't think there was a whole lot of chastening on the man's life. I think he just died horrifically in this plane wreck. On the, on the morning of their son's wedding. What is the golden fleece? Well, many years earlier, a king named Thomas was tired of his wife and taken a new one. Afraid that the new queen meant harm for her two children, ex-queen Nathali prayed for help. Hermes, the messenger god, no, what's another name for Hermes? Mercury. Hmm. What's another name for Mercury and Hermes? The god of death. He's the god of death. Hmm. Wow, isn't that the same club that Westcott and Hort had back and around in 1860? They had two clubs, the Ghostly Guild, where they got together with, with uh, their occultist friends, Westcott and Hort. Who are Westcott and Hort? Well, they're the ones that made the revised version of 1881. They're the ones that gave us our first false Bible version. Translated from two Catholic manuscripts, the, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticanus. Oh, wow. And they had two clubs? Yeah, they had two clubs. What, were they Anglican priests, these guys, Westcott and Hort? They were, they were in, I believe they were, what's that? They're the Church of England or something like that? They were in false religion, okay? They used two Catholic manuscripts. This is where we get all of our false Bible versions spawn from the revised version of 1881. That is when I believe, basically, was the time of the Laodicean Church Age started, when we had that first false Bible version that was widely used. Well, what were they into? Well, they, they, had, they had the Ghostly Guild, where they got together with people like Charles Darwin, probably Madame Blavatsky, who they were friends with, who was one of the most evil, wicked women of all time. And they got together and they talked to the dead. Necromancy, which is totally forbidden in the Bible, you know, talk to devils. And they also had another club called the Club of Hermes. Mm, the God of Death. That's good. It's good, 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 good if you're going to translate a Bible to have a club dedicated to the God of Death. Seems reasonable to me. Well, this is the same Hermes. Hermes, they're, who they're calling is the messenger God. An all-around good deity. Now, I got this off an occult website. I got this off that. He's an all-around good guy, though. He's a God of Death, but he's an all-around good guy. Hermes promptly delivered a magical flying ram which had a fleece of gold. So from the god of death, we get this, de this special delivery via UPS, overnight air, and it's a golden ram. He's got golden fur, golden fleece. Hermes instructed Nephali to place her children, a boy named Phyrex and a girl named Heli. Uh, her name's spelled H-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. So, you know, that's a nice name. Heli. He, he, this god of death told the mom to place these two children on this ram and the, so that the ram could, be, could carry their two children to safety. Sadly, Heli got careless while crossing the straits which separate Europe and Asia and fell into the waters below, drowning. The waters were called henceforth Helen's Port in her honor. Now, you say, well, none of these, none of these legends meant anything. None of them ever happened. I bet you they all happened. 
You know when this probably happened? All these, these Greek legends? Most likely when the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and came down and took them to be wives, all that they chose. And they were giants in those days. Men of old, men of renown. Men of renown? Maybe that's where we get a lot of these Greek and, and uh, Roman legends from. I bet you that's when these all came out, or, or most of them did. Well, it, wouldn't this be a way that the devil could kind of glamorize everything? And you have your, your gods, and, 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 and you've got Zeus and Apollo, and all these. And you know, you read these stories, you know what it is? It's witchcraft. Every one of these stories is pure, stinking witchcraft. Every one of them. Now, it's no wonder that, that if the god of death gave you a golden ram, there'd probably be a price to pay. In this case, it was her, her, her wonderful daughter, Heli. So she fell into the waters, and they've named it Helen's Port in her honor. Phyrex was devastated by the loss of his sister, but he arrived safely at Colicus, where he was hospitably received by King Aetius. Phylix proceeded to sacrifice this ram with the golden fleece to the king of the Olympians, Zeus, who had safely delivered him from harm. And they don't want to give God a credit, they want to give Zeus. And he presented its golden fleece to King Aetas. Okay, the king dedicated the fleece to the god of war, Ares. Oh, okay, that sounds Christian. And placed it on a con consecrated grove. Doesn't the Bible warn about groves? The groves, the groves, the groves in the Old Testaments where the pagans went to do their rites and the, the oak groves, where they, they men of old, the men, the men of oak. That's what they call them, the men of oak. Well, that's what you're dealing with here. The king, um, and then, it, so the fleece was hung in this, this grove under the care of a dragon that never slept. So it sounds pretty Christian to me. I mean, I can understand why why this, this wonderful Pentecostal woman would have told her to, to plead the golden fleece. I wonder if that had anything to do with his death. Because it seemed like as soon as the golden fleece was, was, was this ram was created, the first thing happened, this heli girl died. She died. Maybe there's a price for witchcraft. There always is. There's always a price for everything you do in, in a satanic realm. And it's usually a price you're not willing to bear. The very reason she wanted this ram or she summoned Hermes was so that he could protect her children. Well, one of them died that day. He didn't do a very good job, really. You know, I'm sorry. So, where does this all end up? Well, what ends up happening is, I'm going to put this in a real nutshell. This is where we get the legend of Jason and the Argonauts. Jason was the man commissioned... Um, he was one of the king's sons that was his, he was heir to the throne here, okay? And actually, I tell you what, can I have that, that, one of those papers back that I gave you? I just want to read that real quick. So you kind of understand, I'm not going to get into this every week Greek mythology, but this is interesting because it shows you how subtle the devil is and how he works things and how he glamorizes things. Um, so what, what, what what, what happened? This golden fleece. They, 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 see, the thing about this golden fleece was not only was it golden, but they believed that if you put this fleece in proximity to any metal, like, like let's say my keys, if you drop my keys on the golden fleece, it would turn to gold. Now, what's that called? That's called alchemy. Alchemy is changing one metal into another through witchcraft. Typically, you do it through... Now, I think there's a way you can possibly do it with chemistry. 
but a lot of times they're, they're combining chemistry and witchcraft together. You see a lot of this in witchcraft books, Harry Potter and stuff like that. They turn one, one metal into other metals, and hey, hey, let's face it, if you could turn lead into gold, that's not a bad deal. You wouldn't have to have a job or nothing. You could go be a witch all you wanted. You'd have a constant income stream. Not a bad deal. So, um, this Jason guy was told by this king, you know, you need to go, you need to go seek this thing out. Now, he was rightful heir to this particular throne. Um, so, Jason went and pursued this golden fleece. Okay? Jason made known, when he, when he got to this king of Aetus, who had the fleece, um, this king said, I'll give you the golden fleece if Jason would yoke up and plow with two fire-breathing bulls with a brazen feet and sow the teeth of the dragon which Cadmus had slain, from which it was well known that a crop of our men would spring up who would turn their weapons against the producer. Now, in other words, the king says, okay, if you want this fleece, I'll give it to you, but you got to do these two things. Okay, now this is, you know, the stuff of legends, okay? Jason accepted the conditions, and the, and the time was set for making the experiment. Previously, however, he had he had found means to plead his cause to media. Taylor, stop it. The daughter of the king. Now, this media was the daughter of this king who gave him the challenge. Okay, her name's media, which is probably where we get the word media from. He promised her marriage. In other words, Jason said, I'll marry you if you help me get this fleece. Okay? Now, Media was an extremely, extremely high-level witch. Extremely. Okay, let me just read you just a thing about Media. Media, the most famous enchantress in all of the Greek mythology, is Media. Like the primitive witch, Media is said to have inherited her magical powers, which she's a generational witch. That's no big shake. Unlike the witch, Media was a young, beautiful, and the daughter of a king. According to the myth, Media helped the hero Jason capture the Golden Fleece, the famous golden wool of a flying ram. Jason and Media had two sons and lived happily for ten years. Then Jason fell in love with Glocky, the daughter of another king. He abandoned Media to marry Glocky. Media took revenge by using magic to burn the bride. Media then murdered her sons with a knife so Jason would have no heirs. That's the fruit of Media. Boy, talk about not having natural affection. You know, Media served the sorceress Circe who could turn men into beasts, and the goddess Hecti, who was usually associated with the underworld and the witchcraft. Now, Hecti was the goddess of the night and associated with the moon. She's also, Hecti's also known as Lilith. Lilith is the god of child sacrifice. Lilith is the god, is, is the devil that's over every single abortion clinic worldwide. I'm just telling you right that right now. The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. I'm telling you right now, Lilith is over abortion clinics. Period. She is the goddess of human sacrifice. When witches own abortion clinics, they will dedicate their abortions that happen on a daily basis to the goddess Lilith and or Hecti. So they dedicate. That's how they get their powers. All right, great. So, people believe she appeared at Crossroads. Hmm, remember I said Crossroads earlier? Crossroads. People appeared, she believed, at Crossroads, where the spirits about those to be born would enter the world, and the spirits of those about to die would depart from the world. 
The Greek goddess Artemis and the Roman goddess Diana were related to the nurturing goddess of fertility, Hecate. Artemis and Diana were all associated with witches and witchcraft. In fact, I would go so far as to say Hecate, Diana, who we hear about in the New Testament. Great is the goddess of Diana of the Ephesians. Great, remember that part in, the, in Acts where they were all jumping up like down for like two hours or something? And they ran the Christians out of town, basically? Well, what was one of the main reasons? Money. Well, that's how they're making their money. They're making their idols. Well, Diana is really no different than, than, than Hecti, and Hecti's really no different than Lilith. See, all these gods just have different names. It's just repackaged. They just repackage it for different societies. The Egyptians call them one thing, the Romans call them another, the Greeks call them another. But they're all the same devils. So, this is who we're dealing with here, this media woman. Now, we're going to get back to this crossroads in a second, because I think I'm going to have to go into this today. Um, so, this is the woman... Hecti was the goddess that Media worked with. Um, so he went, Jason goes to this Media, and he says, listen, I'll marry you um, as long as you help me get this golden fleece. Now, this was her father that, that, that issued this challenge. So, right then, evidently, I guess they got married that day, they stood before the altar of Hecti the goddess to witness his oath. So they stood before the goddess of Hecti to witness their marriage. This is Jason and the Argonauts. You know, these, are, these guys are, oh, they're mighty men of war and, and all this legend and they were good men and they went and they got the golden fleece and it's all a lie from the stinking pit of hell. It's all witchcraft. He only got the golden fleece through witchcraft, through his wife's witchcraft media. Who was she in, who was she in league with? Hecti and Lilith. Good friends. That's a great way to get something. Um, so, Hecti witnessed their marriage. Can you imagine? Yes. Who would, who would witness this marriage? And then the devil goddess Hecti stands for it. I witness this marriage. I consecrate this marriage. That's, that's not really good company. Media yielded, and by her aid, she was a potent sorceress. He was furnished with a charm, which he could encounter safely, the breath of fire-breathing bulls and the weapons of our men. Well, the... The story goes on to basically say he got the Golden Fleece through her witchcraft, and that was the only reason he got the Golden Fleece, was through Media's witchcraft. That was it. Okay? Now, let's go forward a little bit. So, Jason finally gets the Golden Fleece. Okay? Now, this is the same... Now, I, I hopefully I've shown you at this point how stinking evil the Golden Fleece is. And this is the very thing this Pentecostal woman told my friend to plead over her husband, and that would, that would get him right with, with God. Well, didn't get him right with God. She put a curse on him. She put a curse on him. And she didn't even know what she was doing. Doesn't the Bible say we're destroyed for lack of knowledge? Doesn't it say that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived? Doesn't it say guard your heart? Doesn't it say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Who can know? Doesn't it say there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death? Well, yeah, it does say that. Doesn't it say that he who trusted that his own heart is a fool? Doesn't it say to search those things out as the Bereans because they were more noble than those in Thessalonica? Well, when you don't search things out, this is what happens. When you just believe what somebody tells you, okay, I'll go plead the Golden Fleece. They look really godly and they're more godly than me. I'm not studying the scriptures. And I'm not searching things out. So, I mean, they're, they're obviously better. Well, that's what's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying I haven't been in those shoes and I haven't been deceived and I'm not judging her. I love this lady, but... The fact remains is that this is a really good object lesson for us, so that it's just one more confirmation. 
If it doesn't line up with the scriptures, don't do it. It's one thing putting a fleece out. But pleading the golden fleece over somebody is witchcraft. That's a totally different deal. So, amid the rejoicings of the recovery of the golden fleece, and this is after Jason's already got the fleece back, Jason felt that one thing was wanting. The presence of his father, Asan, who was prevented by his age and infirmities from taking part in them. In other words, his dad was really old. Okay? Jason said to media, this is his wife, the witch wife, my spouse, would, thou, would that your arts, whose power I have seen so mightily for my aid, could do me one further service. Take some years from my life and add them to my father's. Now what does that mean? He says, my spouse, meaning media, would that your arts, arts? This is not arts and crafts. This is not underwater basket weaving. This is the dark arts. This is the art of witchcraft. It's what he's in reference to here. Would that your arts, whom powers that I've seen so mightily for my aid, well, it's the reason he got the golden fleece back. Couldn't, couldn't they take some of the years off my life and give them to my dad? Well, how noble of Jason. Jason the Argonauts. Okay? Why do they call him the Argonauts? Well, because the boat that they... That they there was like a hundred guys. One of them was Hercules. This is where we get one of the things of Hercules. The boat that they, the, bur, the boat that they sailed on to get to this place where the Golden Fleece was was called the Argo. So they called the men on the boat the Argonauts. Okay, just a little trivia. Anyway, so um, media media replied after he made this request. He said, "Not at such a cost shall it be done. But if my art avails me." His life shall be lengthened without abridging yours. In other words, yeah, I'm going to try to do it for you, hubby. I'm going to try to add some years on your dad life, but I don't want to take your yours because you're my you're my husband, and you know how 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 noble of her. So, the next full moon, she issued forth alone, while all the creatures slept. Not a breath stirred in the foliage, and was all still. To the stars, she addressed her incantations, and to the moon, to Hecti. Here's Hecti again the goddess of the underworld, and to tell us, the goddess of, of earth, by whose power plants, potent for enchantment, pot, by whose power plants, potent for enchantment, are produced. In other words, this goddess of the earth, tell us, guided her to these specific herbs and plants that she used in order to, to make this witch's brew. Okay, that's why, you know, there's plants that grow on this earth especially if they're in the witchcraft realm, they can be used for good and they can also be used for evil. I mean, I think God's the one that put everything here. It's just a matter of what are you, what's your, what are you using it for? She invoked the gods of the woods and the caverns and the mountains and the valleys, of lakes and of winds and of vapors. While she spoke, the stars shone brighter and presently a chariot descended through the air drawn, drawn by flying serpents. I mean, this all sounds real holy. But it sounds real glitzy. Sounds real, ooh, yeah, I want to do that if you're in the world. Wow, she's got power. And then, media ascended into it, into this chariot drawn by flying serpents, and was borne aloft and made her way to distant regions where potent plants grew which she knew how to select for her purpose. In other words, this chariot drawn by flying serpents took her all over the world to get these specific plants to make this witch's brew to take these years off her, her, her dad, her father-in-law's life. Her. Nine nights she employed in the search, and during that time came, came not within the doors of her palace, nor under any roof, 
and she shunned all intercourse with mortals. Why does it say that? Well, because she wasn't human. She was a Nephilim. She was the byproduct of the son, one of the sons of God that saw the daughters of men that they were fair. She was a byproduct of that. Okay, she was an enchantress. So she was more than just your regular witch, your garden variety witch. She was actually a Nephilim. That's why it said she didn't have any any sexual intercourse with mortals. Well, that's that's all a bunch of lies. I don't believe any of that. Well, the Bible says as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, shouldn't we be looking for this exact same thing to be happening today? Maybe that's why when you turn on the table now, they got they got everything about witches and warlocks and UFOs and aliens and cloning and crossbreeding and all this stuff. And all these shows, shows now where they portray regular humans, they got this one show on now, it's called Heroes. And I've never watched it, but it's about these, these one, one of the girl, one of the people on the show, they're just everyday people like me and you, one of the girls on the show is what they call a cam girl. Now what that means, and I didn't know this until I saw that, she's a porno cam girl, she, she, sell, she, she, she shows, she's on the camera all day, she has a camera drawn on her, and you, if you pay the money into her website, you can go watch her do all kind of perverted stuff on camera and watch her all day long. That's called a cam girl. It's, a, it's pornography. Okay, but it's like this, this reality show TV that everybody's addicted to, where it's real, okay? Well, that's, she's one of these heroes, and they have these extra special powers, and they can go through the universe and do all these things that are extraordinary, and then you've got all of these special children that are being born, indigo children and dolphin children and crystal children and all these children that supposedly can see into the afterlife and, and go and regress into past lives and talk to devils and, and it's witchcraft. That's all it is. Well, we're coming back to this right now. What I'm reading you today is where we're at right now. It's not maybe quite this bad, but it's getting there and it's going to get there. And it's going to be glamorized just like this is. That's why I think I got convicted to say this. Because normally I wouldn't even get into something like this. But it shows you how the devil works. It shows you how subtle he is. So it says, we go further and it says, um, Hecti was a mysterious divinity sometimes identified with Diana. See again, these are all interchangeable. Hecti, Diana, Lilith, the goddess of the underworld, the goddess of child sacrifice, the goddess of death. Hmm. Sometimes, uh, as Diana represents the moonlight splendor of the night, so Hecti represents the darkness and its terrors. She was the goddess of sorcery and witchcraft. Now, that, there wasn't any debate on this. She just was. And was believed to wander the night along the earth, only seen by dogs, whose barking told of her approach. Hey, it's a little thing to tuck back in your brain. Well... What would she do if she got to a house? We're going to read a little bit about what Hecti or Lilith does when she gets to a house. One of the things she tries to do is seduce men. She is one of the reasons... Have you ever heard of incubus and succubus spirits? Succubus spirits are spirits that travel in the night and have intercourse and sex with men. They appear as these very, very, very beautiful women. They can appear in your dreams or they can actually physically manifest in your bedroom and have sex with you. Incubus spirits do the same with women. They come and they actually have sex with women and the women, they appear to women typically as these beautiful men. Now many times once they're done having sex with you though, they'll manifest into what they really look like. Sometimes they look like corpses when they're done. 
And the problem is, is once you start having sex with these entities, it's absolutely, totally addictive. And they will not leave you alone. And it happens. It happens. It happens to Christian women, but they're not going to come forth. They're not going to come... And I'm not saying they're even saved. I'm saying that, that maybe they think they are. But they have sex with these, with these spirits, and they actually become more their their husbands than maybe their own husbands. And lot, many times their husbands don't even know this is going on. Now, you think I could say this at any church? What I just said just now? You need to study witchcraft. Why? Well, I don't need to know about that. Well, then, pastor, how would you have a hope for the... How would you have an answer for the hope that's within you if you had somebody that come to you with this particular problem, which is real, and you don't... And, oh, huh. No, I, I don't want anything to do with that. that, 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 that that's, that's not godly. That's, that, that scares me, if the truth be known. I, it, that scares me. I, I don't have the power to do anything about that. You don't? Doesn't the Holy Spirit live inside you? I mean, do you think you have power? you think you have more power than the average devil? I mean, the, if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamp around, encampeth around about them that what? That fear Him. Oh, well you, maybe you don't have any fear of God on you. I totally believe that God can protect me from all this stuff. I do. I just totally know it. I've seen it happen before. I've seen the angel of death. I have. I know what he looks like. And you know what? One word took care of the angel of death. It was called Jesus. One word out of my mouth. The angel of death was gone in a flash. One of the most powerful devils, and I believe the angel of death is a fallen angel. He's not a garden variety demon. He is a fallen angel. He was gone instantaneously. With one word out of my mouth. Every single time a Christian gets abducted by an alien, and don't tell me that doesn't happen because there's been polls in the United States that have said that it's basically 3% of the population of America says they've been abducted by aliens. But you think they're going to come out and say this? No, but they're going to be shunned. And it always happens in the night in darkness where Satan likes to dwell and you have such shame on you, you don't want to tell anybody. But if the truth be known, if they take private polls... 3% of the whole population, that's millions of people. Millions of people have been abducted by aliens in this country. And they're not aliens. They're devils. You were just talking about this, this going on, particularly in the Pentecostal churches, where things that go on you know, at the altar and, and things that go on in the church that are totally of a sexual nature, and they say it's of God. Because these Jesus, these spirits come and say, "Well, that I'm Jesus, or or I'm this angel, or I'm." That. Well, doesn't the Bible say that if it, again that if Satan can appear as an angel of light, it's no wonder that his ministers can appear as angels of light. Now, I think that cuts both ways. I think his ministers, meaning a false hireling pastor, can appear as an angel of light. I also believe his demonic or his fallen angelic ministers can appear as angels of light or lying and deceitful spirits. Satan, what is he known as? He is known as the great deceiver. He's the father of lies. If he can lie to you and get away with it, he's going to do it. Sit down. So, this whole thing about uh, Hecti and Lilith and all these things, this isn't something I'm making up. But see, oh, we can't talk about this in the church. We should be talking about this in the church. Because if we don't know what to do about this, how are we gonna how are we gonna fight it? How are we gonna fight it? I mean, if you don't know anything about your enemy, how are you gonna fight him? I mean, well, we we, we don't want to get into that. I mean, we we this is too militant. That's too bloody. That that that's not gonna bring the people in. We're not gonna be able to make the big bucks. We're not gonna be able to get the big tides. Who cares? We're not we're not here for that. We're not here. To, was Jesus here to make the big bucks? 
The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Okay, that's in Psalms. Okay, so, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, what does he want? What does he need money for? Now, granted, yes, the Bible does say, give of your first fruits unto the Lord. Okay, these types of, of, of passages. But that's more, not because he needs our money, that's more as a, as a showing that we're being obedient to him. You know, we're honoring him with our first fruits. That's different. Than, than actually perceiving in your mind, well, God can't do it without me, he needs my money. That ain't, that ain't the case at all. Okay, so, um, so, then, I, I want to finish this story. Okay, so this is Media, making this witchcraft brew here. Okay, she then erected two altars, one to Hecti, and the other to Hebe, the goddess of youth. So she's got one altar to the goddess of, of, of sorcery and witchcraft, and the other, the other altar to the goddess of Hebe, who's the goddess of youth. She then sacrificed a black sheep, pouring libations of milk and wine. She then implored Pluto, who is the god of the underworld, okay, which is where, why we get the, the name for the planet Pluto. Okay, he's the god, god of the underworld. She implored then Pluto and his stolen bride that they would not hasten to take the old man's life. Now this old man, oh thank you, this old man was the, um, was this father that they were trying to restore years to his life. I know I'm kind of jumping back and forth here. She then directed that Aeson be led forth. Now Aeson was this, was the father of Jason. This was the one that was old and, and decrepit. She then directed that Aeson be led forth. And having thrown him into a deep sleep by a charm, charm, that, well that, the Bible talks about not having anything to do with charmers, or enchanters. It's the same as witchcraft. It's no different. Had led him on a bed of herbs like one dead. So he laid down on this bed of herbs and through this charm it looked as though he was dead. Jason and all the others were kept away from the place that no profane eyes might look upon her mysteries. No profane eyes? Who? She's the most profane one of the bunch. But see, witches like to hide their secrets. Because that's what Satan always does. Isn't that what he always does with these secret societies? Oh no, you can't really know the deep, dark secrets until you get to the higher levels. He's always got that carrot dangling out. And anybody that gets these secrets doesn't want to show it to the next guy because they had to wait so long to get it. And they don't want him to know what they know. Then, with the streaming hair, she thrice removed, removed around the altars, dipping flaming twigs in, in the blood, and laid them thereon to be burned. Meanwhile, the cauldron with its contents was, all, was already got ready. Now, hold on here. Um, okay. So, this is this whole witchcraft ceremony I'm describing here. And, uh, meanwhile, the cauldron with its con contents was already ready. Now, she had been gathering all these herbs for nine days. This flaming serpent took her to all these corners of the earth to get these herbs, okay? The now, now, let me ask you a question. You'd say, oh, this sounds like a bunch... Well, hold on. Don't you think that this was probably commonplace in the days of Noah? Because the Bible said that the sons of God had saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And in those days were men of renown. They were giants in the land. Well, now, do you think that was a hidden thing? Do you think that... I mean, I think that in that day, it was common to see giants in the land. 
I think that the Bible clearly lays that out. I think it was well known that these sons of God had come down to the daughters of men and taken them as wise all that they had chose. I think it was well known they had born to them children. It was well known. The Bible doesn't say it was all hidden in darkness. It wasn't. So, something like this wasn't any big stretch in those days. Okay, now today it would be like, oh, that's a... But we're getting to that point again. Trust me, we're getting to that point where this is going to be not a big shake either. So it says, then, in, in the cauldron she put sand from the, the shores all around the ocean, hoarfrost, whatever that is, gathered by moonlight, a screech owl's head and wings, the entrails of a wolf... She added fragments of the shells of tortoises and the liver of stags, which are like deer, animals tenacious of life, and the head and the beak of a crow. Now, you've heard of the witch's brew, Eye of Newt, all this other... Well, this is where we get this from. This is real. And then, the head and beak of a crow that outlives nine generations of men, whatever that means. These, with many other things, without a name, she boiled together for her proposed work, stirring them up with a dry olive branch. And behold, when the branch was taken out of the cauldron of broth, it instantly became green, and before long was covered with leaves and plentiful growth of young olives. And as the liquor boiled and bubbled, and sometimes ran over, the grass, wherever, wherever the liquor ran over the cauldron, it says it's liquor now, I don't know how it made the transformation to alcohol, the grass, wherever the sprinklings, um, wherever this stuff ran over onto the ground, well, there, there were grass that shot forth out of the ground, like that of spring. Now, you would say, oh, I don't believe this. Now, don't you think that Satan, if he was basically the highest angelic-like being, he was a cherub, okay? And that was the face of a, of a lion, an eagle, a human, and an ox. And I'm sorry I said that last week about the face of a monkey. That was ridiculous. That was irreverent. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, I apologize for that. Um, but he was the anointed cherub that covereth. Okay, He was probably the highest in all of God's creation, save Jesus, save the Holy Spirit, save God the Father. Okay, Don't you think that he had a little bit of power? You know, I think he did. And this is perverted power, but it's power nonetheless. Okay, So, there's benefit to being a witch. It's temporal. It's temporary. Sin is pleasurable for a season. And there's always a gigantic price to pay. A price that you would, could never ever possibly bear. But, if you sell out long enough, and this woman wasn't even human. She was a Nephilim. She was part fallen angel, part human. She, had, she was a generational witch. Okay. Well, this kind of stuff does happen. It's just that... It, it's that, you know, you read something like this and you think, oh, it really can't happen. But it does. It has happened. And it is happening. And if Satan can get, in, if Satan can use somebody like this to take a whole bunch of people to hell with him, don't you think he'll do it if he can? Sure he will. But hold on. You say, oh, well, that's too impossible. What is this compared to God creating the universe? <laughs> what is this? Please. You know, it'd be like comparing an ICBM missile to a tinker toy. It'd be, I mean, that's not even a good comparison. That's, that doesn't even... So this, in God's eyes, I mean, if God's on the throne watching this, he's thinking, right, well, please. You know, I mean, but see, we look at this and think, oh, this is just, just no way, it can't be, well, 
I'm sorry. I think we, we see through a glass darkly. Okay, we see through a glass darkly. We don't understand the things that are interacting around us or the things that have went before us or, or where was I when God laid the foundation of the earth as he said to Job. So, I mean, granted, where was I? Who am I? So, don't let your own mind get in the way because this is no big shake for, for somebody in the occult, especially if you're not even human. So then, seeing all that was ready, Media cut the throat of the old man. Now, he, this guy was laying there, and she cut his throat, and he, she let out all of his blood. All of his blood. She, she, you know. And then she poured into his mouth, and into his wound that she made in his throat, the juices of her cauldron. As soon as he had completely imbibed them, meaning taken them in, his hair and his beard laid by their whiteness and assumed the blackness of youth. Ooh. His paleness and emaciation were gone. He was an old man getting ready to die. But he was, he was, he was, now all of a sudden he was a good looking sucker, as Nonetta would say. <laughs> and, and, and his paleness and emaciation were gone. His veins were full of blood. His limbs of vigor and robustness. And Aeson is amazed at himself and remembers that such as he is now, he was in his youthful days, 40 years before. It took 40 years off his life with one witch's cauldron brew. Hey, not a bad deal. So then Media used her arts here for a good purpose. Yeah, this was good. She used witchcraft to do good. Well, isn't that the whole premise of white witchcraft? We're, we do good witchcraft. We're good. We do good witchcraft. So in other words, the boy just took off 40 years of his life and Yep. And don't you think that if, if a witch could do that for somebody... Don't you think that, and if other people were around and saw that, I mean, obviously a lot of people knew about this. This is a, this is a, a Greek legend. Well, do you know how many people probably went to hell just to, because of this one thing? Because they said, wow, this really happened. I, that's more real to me than God. Well, what is again, what is this compared to the fact that you're on a planet that's just the right distance from the sun, where we just have the right amount of oxygen in the environment to breathe, where we have this body that, it, you know, 50 trillion cells that all work in unison together to, to live, breathe, think. What is that compared to that? There is no comparison. But see, we lose sight of all those other things. We would rather believe that we evolved out of, from a rock, out of primordial slime, and where did the primordial slime came from? Oh, that came from Big Bang. Oh yeah, there's this rock in the universe and it just exploded all of a sudden and then it eventually took billions and billions of years and then it, get, it brought forth life. Oh, that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so asinine, the whole assumption of the Big Bang and evolution. But, hey, we don't have to answer to a holy God that way. That's what it boils down to. We don't want to answer to a holy God, so we would rather believe Big Bang and we evolved from a monkey that evolved from a fish that evolved from a rock from the primordial slime. We'd rather believe that, because then there's no accountability there. Well, who do I got to account to? My rock that, that brought me forth? Well, that's, that's not a bad deal. My, I don't think that rock will be a mean judge of me at all. Mm -mm. No, he won't judge me very bad. He's just a dumb old rock. I can get away and live like the devil, do whatever I want. I could be a witch or whatever. I can, I can take care of all the sin and live like the devil, do whatever I want, and I'm not going to have to answer to nobody. I like that. I like it in my head. That's the way I want it. That's the way it's going to stay. You've just created your own religion that will take you straight to the lake of fire. Period. That's all it is. We just, we just don't want to be accountable. It's human nature. Now, I'm not talking about the people in this room. I'm talking about 
people in general. They don't want to be accountable. So it says, for here, Mita used her arts. No, they're not arts. They're black witchcraft. For a good purpose. But not so in another instance, where she made them instruments of revenge. And this is where it talks about how she went and, and killed her, this wife that Jason wanted to marry. And then she killed her own two kids. Um, and then she ended up killing the one father that um, had uh, challenged Jason. She killed him, too, because he wanted to be young, too. So she went and said, oh, I'll, I'll do that for him, too. But she didn't do it for him. She actually she actually had her his own... This woman was sick. I mean, this woman was really sick. I'm just going to read this real quick. Media prepared a cauldron for him. This was the other guy that had challenged Jason to get the golden fleece. This is how the devil works. She put only in water, though, and a few simple herbs. In other words, she didn't go and get all these exotic herbs and do all the big witchcraft. She just put in water and a couple herbs... And she said in the night, she and the sisters entered his bedchamber of the old king, while he and his guard slept soundly under the influence of a spell cast by media. It's always a spell cast by her. The daughter stood by the bedside with their weapons drawn. Now, this was his own daughters. They thought that they were going to give youth back to their dad. But see, this is what happens when you, li when you listen to the devil. He'll tell you to do something, and he's a liar. So she said to him, you're going to have to drain his blood just like we drained Jason's dad's blood. So... She had the daughters, his own daughters, stood by the beds with their weapons drawn, but hesitated to strike their own father until media chided them. And then they turned away their faces and giving random blows, they smote him with their weapons. So they were stabbing their dad. Okay. He then came out of his sleep and cried out, My daughters, what are you doing? Will you kill your father? I mean, this is pitiful. And then their hearts failed them, and their weapons fell from their hands, and media struck him then with a fatal blow and prevented him saying any more. They then placed him in the cauldron and media hastened to the de depart with her serpent drawn chariot again before they discovered her treachery and their vengeance would have been terrible. She escaped, however, but had little enjoyment in the fruits of her crime. Um, it goes on to say more uh, here. But anyway, this is what happens when you follow witches and witchcraft. This is what happens. Um, now, because I've delved into this today, I'm going to delve into one other thing about this that goes along with this. I found this, and this was like, after last week, I think I found this like Sunday night. I got this, I'm trying to figure out, how, remember how I found this. I was up on this witchcraft site, because I was looking, my mom's got these African masks, and all this African voodoo stuff in this one bathroom, and I'm trying to convince her to get rid of it. I'm trying to convince her, let me burn it. Let me burn it. She's already let me burn the obelisk. She had an obelisk, I mean, high, high dollar obelisk she got from the molehole, and uh, I convinced her to let me burn that thing. Praise the Lord. So that's been burned. But she's still got all these masks. And I mean, they're af oh, they're just from the pit of hell. Doug, you saw them the other day. And um, so I'm trying to find a way to burn these things. I'm about ready to, to say to her mom, listen, I'll give you the money to go out and buy other things for the stinking bathroom as long as you let me burn these things. Let me get rid of them. I can't say I'm going to burn them because, oh no, you can't burn them. Uh, let me get rid of them, mom. I'm about ready. I'm, I'm, I don't know what other way to go. I'm, I'm asking the Lord how He wants me to handle this. Because I'm really afraid they're bringing a curse on our whole family. I really am. Because that happens. Well, I was researching about these African masks. And I got up onto this website. And it's Haunted Tours of America. Now, there's places this Haunted Tours of America is a real business that you can go to. And they do tours of America of different haunted places. One of the places, and one of the guys they talk about is this guy named Robert Johnson. Now, that's the name of my dad, too. And he's a blues singer. 
He's a blues singer. A real, he's one of the first blues. In fact, he's considered what they call the king of the Delta Blues. Where did he get this power from? And why is there a sign of a crossroads there? Remember I said the crossroads? Remember I talked about that? That Hecti is the one that goes to the crossroads and makes deals with people? Hmm. He's a black man, played a guitar, king of the Delta Blues. What's this all about? Now, I found this all out the same day, and it's, I mean, you, you, you look at the Greek legend, and you look at the curse of Robert Johnson and, and the Crossroads curse, which is what I'm going to talk about now, and you think, how did you find this all on the same day, and, and although you're going to see how related it really is, I don't know, I could just give God the credit, because there, I had never heard about either of these things up until that last Sunday night, I think it was, when I found this out. So, this is it. Now, you got to understand, some of this language here is not bad language, it's, it's like old black folk language. Okay, so this is one of his songs. Okay, I'm going to give you just the lyrics. <clears throat> if and you wants to make a deal with the devil, the devil, you got to take a guitar and a black cat and go out to a lonely empty fork in the roads at about midnight. The fork in the roads, he means a crossroad. Okay, remember what I said about the crossroad and the hecti. Okay. Now, it's well known in voodoo that if you want to do a curse or if you want to do this or that, you go to a crossroads and you do, you do the curse in the crossroads. We're going to find out why that is. You go, you go out to a lonely, empty fork in the roads along around about midnight. And I'm going to try to translate this into English. You've got to sit back there and play the guitar in that black, with that black cat bone. It, 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 evidently, it's the bone of a black cat. And you got to play your best song. You know, something that you're wishing the devil, the devil and all, could hear. After a short time, you're going to hear something humming deep and low like a bumblebee, only getting louder all the time. You're going to feel something coming up behind you, tugging at your guitar, wanting to take it away. And then you're going to be, and then it's going to be that old devil himself. But don't look around, boy. You've got to keep on strumming as if you're still playing your guitar. Very soon, that devil, he's going to give that old guitar back to you, and you're going to be able to play anything your heart desires on those old strings. Now remember, this is really where we get the start of the modern rock and roll music. Where did it start? The blues. The blues. Where did that start? New Orleans. Where did that start? Africa. Where they got brought the drum over, and all that other junk. It all he's a black man. Don't you think there's such a thing as generational curses? Maybe that's why it all started through the blues. I read, and I read Doug over the phone. My dad's known about this guy for I told my dad. He's like, oh, I know who that is. My dad's been following this guy for years. I said, I never even heard of him until the other day. He's absolutely a legend to this very day. I said, who is he? Well, he's the greatest blues singer that's ever known, been known, ever. I read. Now, have you ever heard of Eric Clapton? He's a big-time rock and roll guy. And we're going to talk about him, because I want you to understand the devices of Satan, how this all works. Eric Clapton has an album where he did 20 or whatever of this guy's songs. 20. In the thing, I wish I would have brought it. You, I read it to Doug, I couldn't believe it. He said that there's been no man on the planet ever that's had such an impact on his music than this man, Eric Clapton. Now, Eric Clapton's went on to, to influence many, many, many people into the rock and roll realm and for the devil. Okay? Eric Clapton is, is sold out to Satan, okay? 
Who was his major, 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 major guy that inspired him? This guy. He said that his music was so unbelievable that he could only take it at little bits and pieces at first. He says, he, he says his music was so far above and so much purer than anything he had ever heard that, that he said, I could only take it in little bits and pieces and, and it, after a while I could handle more and more and more. It was almost like a drug. What he says right here, he says, when the devil gets that guitar back, you're going to be able to play anything your heart's desire on those old strings. And, you, and then you're going to be able to play that guitar until your fingers bleed blood, but only coming as long as the devil will let you go. Because one day he's coming back with his own guitar, and you're going to have to accompany him if and you wants to or not. See, he knew. He made a deal with the devil. He knew. But what had the devil done? He had done something to, the, to that guitar, to that particular man, that, where he could play like you would not believe. And we're going to talk more about that. I mean, I couldn't, I, you couldn't have asked. I mean, Eric Clapton basically elevated this man to like a god. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This old black, I mean, there's only, I think they've only got 40 of his recordings ever even preserved. He was a bum. He was a vagrant. He roamed the streets. He only made, uh, in this one, he only made some recordings, I think, in like 1929. But he was... Well, why? How do these rock stars... Where do these guys get their power with this music? We're going to look at that. The story of Robert Johnson is in his infamous Crossroads deal with the devil in which he traded his immortal soul for musical genius. It's deeply ingrained in the mythology and legend of the rural South and is one of the best-known tales of American folklore. I didn't even know about it. I had no clue about this. Robert Johnson is a struggling musician trying to make a living and name for himself in a Depression-era Mississippi. It's said to have journeyed to the crossroads in order to barter with the devil for fame and fortune he desired. He knew the price would be high, and it was indeed, but, his, but this seemed to be a matter of little importance for what he got in exchange. Robert Johnson is called the King of the Delta Blues to this day and is considered by many to be the father of blues. The contribution he made to music in his brief lifetime can never be debated. Well, he only lived to be 27. The contribution he made, so did Hank Williams Jr. He lived to be like 28. He, he reminds me a lot of Hank Williams Jr. The contribution he made to music in his brief lifetime can never be debated, but Johnson never lived to enjoy his fame, and the devil didn't wait long to collect his due. Um... There's a, a part where he sings about, I, I went to the crossroad and fell down on my knees. I went to the crossroad and fell down on my knees. Um, that He actually recorded a song called The Crossroad Blues. Now, we're going to talk about that song. Robert Johnson was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, May 8, 1911, the illegitimate son of Julia Dodd and Noah Johnson. But he would never know his father. Johnson quickly disappeared from his infant son's life. Which, I, mean, I hate to say it, but that's, that's typical for what you get with, with a lot of the, um, um, well, what you get nowadays. But Julia Dodd and her young son moved along as she searched for work in various parts of the South. She finally took employment in a plantation home near Robinsonville, Mississippi. Um, at 17 years old, Robert Johnson married his childhood sweetheart, but their happiness was soon doomed to be short-lived. Within a year of their marriage, she died in childbirth. Um... At that point, he devoted all of his time and thought to the energy of music. 
energy to music. While traveling throughout the South over the next few years, Johnson never ceased to work on developing his skills. He often spoke with his friend Willie Brown that they would get drunk on moonshine and go out to the nearby cemeteries where they would sit on tombstones all night strumming the guitar and composing dark melodies. Now don't you think you're going to pick up some demonic baggage doing that? He was a total drunk and a total womanizer. He just, he just lived to roam and roam and roam and get drunk and sleep with one woman and another woman and another woman. That's all he did. Okay? It's well known. Uh, but it's, it's funny how you know, people can immortalize this guy and yet overlook all of the evil. All, 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 the, all the fruit from this man was pure evil. I don't care how good his music may sound to their ear. It was pure evil. Everything he did. Um, Johnson was never formally trained to read music, but could, uh, but could play almost anything by ear. Now, you got to wonder about somebody who could just play stuff by ear. Now, I'm not saying God can't give you that gift, but his obviously wasn't from God. He often imitated the styles of other Delta musicians of the time. It is said that he learned the bottleneck slide guitar technique from watching guitar Sunhouse play. Um... But Johnson had ambition as well as talent, and he knew he could make a lot more of himself than just a big fish in a little pond. He set out to make himself famous. Many of what many of what has come down as facts about the life of Robert Johnson end up being part of a legend larger uh, that seems to have woven itself around the man. Um, some speculate that other musicians of lesser talents who travel the circuit with Johnson were jealous of his skills, and many to the point that these naysayers say the source of Johnson's music myth would be that Johnson suffered from a lack of talent, would gladly sell a soul just to be able to play poorly. There are others who were considered, considered friends by Johnson, who were fortunate enough to see him perform, who knew Johnson to be a powerhouse even in the green years on the Delta Circuit. If so, why would a man of such talent, who would achieve his goals through such plain hard work, ever consider selling the soul to the devil? Um, some have... There's only a few, a couple pictures of this guy either that's ever even been taken. Some have said that it wasn't talent that eluded Robert Johnson, but rather fame and it, and with it fortune. Robert wasn't satis Robert Johnson wasn't satisfied unless he could have it all. Um, he wanted more and more and more. It is well known in the folklore of the American South, as it is throughout Europe, that the crossing of two roads where the intersection of three at one place is an especially evil place. Again, something to tuck in the back of your mind, okay? Lest we be ignorant of his devices. Now, I know, I've, I've seen enough voodoo high priestess and people like these interviewed where they talk a lot about crossroads. There's there ain't no doubt about this. Um, these crossroads are places where the fabric of the natural world often broke down, allowing the dark denizens of the unseen realms to cross over into the world of men. The belief was long held among Europeans and cultures in the Near East where altars were erected at crossroads to satisfy the appetites of evil spirits that such are in that such places attracted. So if you went if you went back three or four hundred years ago to maybe a crossroads in Europe or somewhere, they would actually have altars erected at crossroads to, to, to satisfy the devils that they knew would manifest at these places. So there is some kind of spiritual truth to this. It's a demonic spiritual truth, and I'm not saying God's not greater. But there is truth here. So, in latter times, these altars were usually marked with some image of the Christian faith, perhaps a crucifix or a statue of the beloved Virgin Mary. Well, that's still witchcraft. That's still witchcraft. 
Okay? What? what? Because the Catholic Church... But isn't that what the Catholic Church does with everything? They take all the pagan holidays in 321 AD with Constantine and they, they convert Saturnalia into Christmas, which is what we're dealing with today. Well, we need to keep Christ in Christmas. He never was in Christmas. He, he was never in Xmas. He was never in Saturnalia. He had nothing to do with it to begin with. In earlier, wilder times, the altars would be drenched in the blood and covered with offerings such as carcasses of black puppies and cats, crow feathers and boiled eggs, favorites of the witch goddess Hecti. Well, my land, there she pops up again, Hecti. You know, I read a book recently called The Arminian Gate where it talks about the devils that are being released in the end times. Now, the Bible makes mention of this. The Bible does make mention. Doesn't it talk about the bottomless pit that's going to be released when those locusts are going to come out? Now, I know for 100% a fact that, that one of the main problems that the witches that have come out of witchcraft say that is happening right now, one of the main problems things are getting so wicked, is because witches are openly and actively trying to open these portals up. They're, they, and there's witchcraft incantations and spells that you can do as a witch, if you're powerful enough, to actually open up. You mean, have, have you ever heard the, the, uh, the expression of you have an open doorway in your life where the, the devil can enter in? Well, you can do that in your own life, but I'm talking about actually entering, opening these things up between our dimension and their dimension. That's why they like Halloween so much. Because Halloween, it's well known that they believe that's the, when they believe the veil between the spirit world and our world is the thinnest. So they can cross over more easy. That's why they wore costumes. Because they thought these things that are entering into our dimension... Now, this is, these are the witches back in the Druids. and these, They wore costumes because they wanted to ward off any evil spirits that might try to overcome them on Halloween night. That's why they wore costumes. Purely as a matter of protection for themselves. So see, this concept isn't anything that I'm getting into that's, that's, that's not been talked about. It's just, it's just a fact. You want to say something? Go ahead. It's Hecti. She comes up again. Who used crossroads to enter in into this world. The goddess Hecti? We just talked about her in Greek, Greek mythology. Well, she's as real today as she was back then. Who is Hecti? She's the goddess of sorcery in the underworld and witchcraft. She's also associated with Lilith. The, god, the, the, the goddess of human sacrifice. They're also associated with the succubus spirits, which are the women that appear as women and have sex with men at night. And also, they're, they're also the ones over the incubus spirits, which are the ones that, that appear as men and have sex with women. And trust me, there's a lot of women in the Christian church, and I've read accounts of women in the Christian church that have tried to come to their pastors telling them this and in total shame, and the pastors don't know what to do about it. But it's happening. Um... In more recent history, crossroads became the places of executions with large trees nearby performing the task of the makeshift gallows. Gallows were also erected at crossroads, even in modern times, who had, by people who had died of suicide or otherwise outside the faith. Often were buried at crossroads in unmarked graves. Their souls committed to the keepers of the realms of the unholy dead. Well, an evil place will always attract evil things. That's the thing about it. So, I don't think it's any any coincidence that you've got all this going on at the crossroads, okay? In the rural delta in Mississippi, the crossroads was a bad place where those who practiced voodoo would go to work their victims. Well, why would people in Mississippi go practice voodoo? Because most of the people that, um, the, most of the blacks that have come over, uh, 
like from Haiti, settle in New Orleans. New Orleans is the voodoo capital of the world, and that is permeated into Louisiana and Mississippi. That's why we get. This is what. This is what has influenced all of this. Okay, there's nasty spirits there. So they would go. People that worked voodoo would go to the crossroads to work their victims. You ever see the voodoo dolls? Well, that I'm sorry, but there's 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 truth in that. I'm not saying a, a born again Christian is right with God's going to have to worry about that, but they don't just do that because they're they're fun and games. Voodoo is high level nasty witchcraft. It is powerful stuff. You talk to people about Bill Schneblin, for instance. He said that it's one of the most powerful forms of witchcraft there is. Period. It's very old. It's 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 like when you've had thousands of years to hone your craft, you're going to get pretty good at it. And if you sold your soul out to the devil enough, he's going to show you some things. Well, that's what voodoo is. Uh, those in search of the hoodoo man would often be told to meet him at the crossroads. Now, hoodoo man is 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 another kind of way of saying voodoo. Excuse me. Such was the potency of the location of the collective folk memory. It was a place of black cats, rabid dogs, black magic evil intentions, and in the rural south in the 20th centuries, next to hell itself. The crossroads was the best place to meet the devil. Now this is from the from the song, The Crossroad Blues. The devil hangs close to the Mississippi River, putting down his ex, and voodoo oozes from New Orleans for a reason. Putting down his ex. The ex is the crossroad. Okay? If you, if you turn that outside, that's an ex. Okay? Now remember that. Um, according to all accounts, on a windy October night, Robert Johnson headed down the crossroads on the south end of Rosdale, Mississippi, where Highway 8 intersects with Highway 1. With nothing but his guitar to keep him company, Johnson sat down on a roadside stone and began to strum. Soon he began playing a mournful tune. Within a short time, as clouds began to obscure yellow light of the full October moon, Johnson became aware, aware of a smell of something burning. Hmm. Like acrid wood smoke, or the smell that rises from the tip of a burnt match head. What's the tip of a burnt match head, sulfur? If you're ever anywhere, here's two things to watch out for. If you're ever anywhere out, and all of a sudden, you're out in the woods, or, or out somewhere, and all of the, if the insects are chirping, and all, and all that goes silent, you better know that you're in the presence of evil. Okay, that's I'm 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 not being superstitious. I'm saying it's well known in the occult. If you hear that in the woods, if everything goes silent, you better start praying right then. Okay, and I'm not saying because the devil's bigger than God. I'm saying just do it. Okay. Another thing, if you're ever out anywhere, or if you're ever anywhere. So if we go a little further in this, now the other thing I said to watch out for, if you're ever out there, is, is if all of a sudden you start smelling. Like a rotten sulfur smell. Now, I don't mean if you're out there in the sprinklers or spraying well water. Okay, because that's not the same. But if you're in like a house somewhere, or you're out in the woods or wherever you're at, and all of a sudden you start smelling sulfur. See, when, when devils or fallen angels manifest in our plane of existence, it's well known in witchcraft that they give off this sulfur smell. Why is that? Well, isn't it hell a place that burns with fire and brimstone? Well, brimstone's sulfur. Okay, that's why they have that smell. What? What is sulfur smelling? Well, it you know, like if the sprinkler spray and, and it sprays that gnat and that smell comes up, that's what sulfur smells like. What if we're in oh, don't worry about it, Taylor. So, so if you smell that smell for no reason, okay, you better start praying. 
Now, this is a big reason why if you go into many of these occult bookstores or occult places, they burn incense. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to cover up the smell. Because some of these places are in such clo close communion with the devil that they actually have these things manifesting. Maybe in the back room, I don't know. But they actually burn incense to kill the smell. Now, I've read that, I can't tell you how many times. Now, again, you think this message is going to go over real well in the average church? Oh, but we can't talk about these things. No, no, we're just giving the devil glory. I'm not giving the devil glory, I'm exposing him. He hates it. He don't want to be exposed. He wants to stay in darkness. And that's where the church wants to keep him because they're so afraid of him. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. I mean, I, I, the Bible says that, you know, you don't bring a railing accusation and these types of things. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to expose him or expose his devices or be, or be ignorant of his devices. Um, so, okay, anyway. So, all of a sudden he starts smelling the smell like the tip of a burnt match head. Johnson then kept playing on. Now he was too frightened to do anything else. Suddenly it became clear to him that he wasn't alone. There reached around from behind him a burly arm covered in a ratty brown and yellow plaid coat sleeve with huge red stone cuff links holding a starched white cuff taut against a huge black hand. This is out of nowhere. Now you can imagine, you're here, you're in the middle of the night and this gigantic burly hand reaches around you. Now the devil will always meet you on your terms. Okay? This thing that manifested to him was on his terms, okay? It sounded like he was dressed pretty tacky to me, but, you know. Then this thing says, that's behind him, now he's not looking at this thing, whatever it is. He says, he says, why, this ain't nothing but out of tune, boy, when he grabs the guitar. It's out of tune. Said a deep, hoarse voice that echoed her all around in the middle of nowhere. He says, let me tune that up for you. So he, this devil takes his guitar. He says, that thing's out of tune. Let me tune it up for you. Johnson heard the squeaking of guitar strings along the frets, sounding as if those big black hands were torturing them. But not once did he turn around. He held his arms in midair as if the instrument were still across his knees, and he had not stopped playing. Within minutes, the guitar reappeared by his head. Without looking, Johnson reached up, took the instrument, just then, and the wind blew up, and from out of nowhere, a mangy black dog ran past him down the road. Remember how I said the crossroads were a place where mangy black dogs and evil spirits and black cats and witchcraft, okay? So, then this voice said, go ahead, try it out, the deep voice said. With shaking hands, Johnson settled the guitar in his lap, strummed. The guitar responded in perfect, beautiful tune. But suddenly, to Johnson's dismay, he felt a face and seething heat and dripping sweat came close up by his own face. And the face said, you know, there's a price to pay, right boy? Said the booming voice, but it was lower now and more threatening. Johnson nodded his head feverishly and felt the presence draw away. The voice said, well, that's right. He says, well, that's all right then. It said from somewhere above his head, then with a chuckle it was gone. So in other words, he says, okay, you made this deal with me, but there's a price, a bad price. Now he was going to hell anyway. Okay, so he, then from that moment on, Johnson played his instrument with a style and pizzazz that could make grown men cry and women do practically anything he wanted of them. Well, doesn't that sound like the modern day rock star? I mean, a lot of these they go nuts over these people, and I was into all that too. So I, I can, I could, I can tell you, I've been there, man. I, I've done some nutty stuff. 
I won't even tell you the stupid stuff I've done at rock concerts. It says, His voice moaned with a heaving sigh of the damned or wailed like a drowning cat, but it was all good. Johnson emerged from his meeting with the devil, a changed man, carrying the heart of the Delta Blues within him to all whose path he crossed. Robert Johnson was the blues. Um, and then the voice comes back and it says, you, you want to be the king of the Delta Blues and have all the whiskey and the women you want? And Robert Johnson replied back to him. He says, that's a lot of whiskey and women, devil man. Um, by 1936, Johnson's fortunes were on the upswing. A record producer from the American Record Company was anxious to record the blues maestro for his label. He approached him and offered him 15 to, 10 to 15 bucks for each song he recorded. <laughs> These are the only times he's ever been recorded. These are the songs that Clapton ended up recording. This, this one time, that's it. And he still had this reputation. The first sessions took place in 1936 at the Gunther Hotel in San Antonio, Texas. Johnson played several of his own pieces. Um, the, after this, police arrested Johnson on vagrancy charges. He was a bum. He lived in fields. He just went from white. He was a bum. They threw him in jail while he was in San Antonio. They beat him up and smashed his guitar. To keep them from beating him further, uh, Johnson asked them to contact this guy he knew. This is the guy that produced his record. The producer showed up and provided a reason for Johnson's presence in town, posted his bail that night. After one more recording session the next day, in which the fateful Crossroad Blues track was finally laid down, this was the, this was the one. Now, we're going to talk about this song. He finally, finally recorded this Crossroad Blues song. Johnson then left San Antonio and resumed his vagabond life. In June of 1937, this was only like a year later, Johnson returned to Texas to work with law at the Brunswick recording building in Dallas. Johnson laid down 12 more songs and worked on a handful of alternate versions of the songs. Um, as previously, he received hardly any money and no royalties. Um, as fate or something like it would have it, Johnson would never make it back to San Antonio to do any more recordings. In fact, Don Law never saw Robert Johnson again. And Johnson, it turned out, had more than one important date to keep. My left hand... That this is from the devil. My left hand will forever be wrapped around... And this is one of his songs where he says this. The devil said to him, My left hand will forever be wrapped around your soul. And your music is going to possess all who hears it. Now I said a lot of that just to say that one line. The music, Your music is going to possess all who hears it? Huh. Maybe that's a device of Satan that we might want to know about. Boy, that, that maybe might not be real good for Christian rock. For all this rock music, or blues, or, th or things that seem more innocent, like jazz and blues and these things. What, Taylor? What is his name? Robert Johnson. And your they've got this album. My, da my dad's got this album. This recording, these original recordings. My dad's got it. Taylor, basically most of rock music is that way. That's why you got to be careful. Um, uh, so it says, my, my left hand will forever be wrapped around your soul. The devil. But he, that's where he's getting his power from. That's where he's getting the power to possess people who hears this music. So the devil made a good deal. He got Robert Johnson. He already had him. But through Robert Johnson, he took a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of people to hell with him. See, Robert Johnson's not just going to have to answer for his own sins. He's going to have to answer for all the people he ended up taking to hell with him, which is something to think about. 
uh, like Hitler. Hitler's going to not have to answer for just himself. He's going to have to answer for the 12 million Jews he killed. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and your music's going to possess, oh, here's it. That's going to happen. That's what you better be prepared for. Uh, and then, this is in his song, this is in the Crossroad Blues. This just ain't any crossroads, Robert Johnson. I put this X here for a reason. And I've been waiting for you. Now, in other words, the devil, there are certain places on this earth that are more satanic than others. Now, it might have been because something happened there, like a, a let's say a baby was killed there, murders took place there. What that does, when you defile the land with blood, it leaves demonic baggage. Okay? And that's what you're dealing with. I don't know what took place in that. I'd love to go there and pray over that place. I really would. In fact, that's what I feel I'm called to do in a lot of sense. But, and you can go take haunted tours of America. They'll take you there. They'll take you there at midnight, probably. You know? This whole, the whole town where this took place is still, they're, they're, it's like, they, they have pilgrimages all the time of people who come there to worship this guy. His, 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 that magic, that devil magic still works in, in this, in this guy's singing. Um, so, we go further. Just as the life of Robert Johnson had been full of legend and contradiction, so the circumstances of his death are still debated, and in many ways uncertain. Many sources agree that the most probable king of the Delta Blues met his end by poisoning, when in a fit of jealous rage, the husband of an ex-girlfriend whom Johnson had been romancing, he was sleeping with everybody he could sleep with, he, he sought revenge. After being run off by his old flame, Johnson apparently caught up with the musician Sonny Boy Williamson, and the two went drinking at a local ju juke joint. Williamson, recognizing the spurned husband in the bar, warned Johnson not to drink an open, from an open bottle of whiskey that had been placed on their table. But Johnson was having none of it. He took the bottle and drank the contents down. Within a short period of time, Johnson was vomiting and suffering terrible convulsions. His tongue swelled and blackened, all the hallmarks of strychnine poisoning. Johnson finally died in horrible pain on August 16, 1938, at the age of 27. Here's a picture of his grave. It's, it's an obelisk. It's a little mini obelisk. I'll give this to you when I'm done. So, I don't know. That's probably a picture of him. It's a little obelisk. Um, and Robert Johnson... Well, I'm going to read this. I don't agree with it, obviously. But, well, actually, it is true in some sense. Without Robert Johnson and the music of the Delta Blues, much of the music we know and so love today would not exist. Certainly, soul and R&B, which is rhythm and blues, owe a tremendous debt to Johnson. But in every sense, rock and roll would not be rock and roll had Johnson never existed or made that sinister deal with the devil. See why I read this to you? This is foundation. The Bible says that the foundations be destroyed. What can the righteous do? What if, what if, what if Robert Johnson would have taken this talent and used it for the, used it for the Lord, sung gospel? How might this world be different? Now I'm not saying the devil couldn't use somebody else, but he, if he wasn't a willing vessel, that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, that's a really bold statement. And after I read what Clapton said about him, I couldn't argue with this. Because this man has had such an impact on all of the modern day secular music that we have today. In fact, he's probably had more of an impact on it than anyone. 
It just may be that Johnson did make that deal after all, and some think that there's evidence existing today that proves it. They call it the crossroads curse. Now listen to this. And there are those who point to this theory to prove that Johnson's curse of his devilish bargain had far-reaching and unexpected consequences. See, um, there's, that, there's that expression that Travis Lane always used to say, the devil will make you pay a price that you, you can't pay, make you go farther than you want to go, and, you know, one of these things. And, and it's like when you plant a seed. You can plant a seed and that tree grows, and after you're dead, that tree's still growing. Well, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with generation after generation now of the evil that's been perpetuated because of the decisions this man made. Just like you can do good and plant a good seed, and that thing can carry forward in, in the opposite way. Um, it has been said by many that Johnson never particularly liked the song, The Crossroads Curse. Although he, he uh, obliged his recorder or producer to with at least three known versions of it. Nevertheless, modern musicians, I probably wouldn't like it either if it reminded me of that junk. Nevertheless, modern musicians who weren't even born when Johnson was walking the roads of the Mississippi Delta have long learned to worship at the shrine of his talent. And it, it is his song, The Crossroad Blues, in particular, that has been associated with most modern tragedies. Now, listen to this. Now, Eric Clapton's not the only one. There's been a lot of rock groups. Big, big, big time rock and roll groups I'm going to talk about here that have followed this man. Popular rock musicians who have performed the song, including Eric Clapton and Cream, the Allman Brothers Band, Leonard Skinner, and Led Zeppelin, have lifted several of Johnson's more sexual illusions for use in their lyrics. Now, evidently, he's sung a lot about sex. I didn't, I didn't really pick up on that, but evidently they did. The Crossroads curse may have touched even Kurt Cobain, the former founder of Nirvana. Each of these bands has been the target of intense professional and personal tragedies, that makes some wonder whether the devil isn't still taking his payment along after all these years. I think they do a pretty good... Sometimes you get more truth from a secular source than you will anything else. It, uh, uh, the, the church group would say, oh no, this is all, this is all your imagination. This does, no, this is real. This is witchcraft. Carried forward. Eric Clapton and Cream recorded the Crossroad Blues for their Cream Wheels of Fire LP at the height of their fame. Within a shoe few short years, the band was disbanded and Clapton was wallowing in the throes of heroin addiction. Now, Clapton's the guy that wrote this thing about him. Years later, having cleaned up his life and enjoying a profitable solo career, Clapton was tragically struck by the death of his two-year-old son, who fell from apartment window to the death several stories below. He, he sang a song about this. Tears in Heaven, was it? Will I know your name when I see you in heaven? Will you? It's, it's this real sad song about his little kid that died, and it was after he made this recording in the Crossroad Blues. Now, Clapton's not going to see his kid in heaven. He was two years old. I believe his kid's in heaven, but Clapton, he's only going to see hell, unless he repents. But Clapton's a Satanist, so I doubt that's going to happen. So, um, that's, one, that's one thing. Then another. Tragedy surrounding the Almond's brother, Blaine, and practically the same legend in the annals of rock and roll at their height of fame, in 1971, Dwayne Allman, who is said to have loved performing the Crossroad Blues live, was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident at another crossroads near Macon, Georgia, where he swerved his motorcycle to having avoid hitting a truck. He died later from injuries. Just over a year later, in 1972, another band member, guitarist Barry Oakley, was killed while riding his motorcycle. He died less than a mile from where Dwayne Allman met his death. 
You're telling me that this is all a coincidence after they just made this Crossroads Curse song? Though the band soldiered on, Dwayne's brother Greg felt compelled to immortalize his brother's connection to a crossroad in the song Melissa. Crossroad, will you ever let him go? Or will you hide the dead man's ghost? Um, the popular Alabama band, Leonard Skinner, added a cover version of Robert's song Crossroad Blues to their live performances. It's a raw power and driving rhythm where sometimes that every audience looked forward to and the crowds kept coming back as the band toured the South through the 1976-77. Then in October 77, as the band was flying from Glenville, South Carolina to their next show at Louisiana State University uh, Assembly Center, their aging Conovar 240 lost an engine in mid-flight. Lost an engine in mid-flight? That sounds like a curse. The panic crew flew, lost control of the plane, and they mistakenly dumped all the fuel. <laughs> that was smart. Minutes later, the plane plunged into a swamp outside Gillsburg, Mississippi. Mississippi, they all died. Isn't that funny? And broke into pieces. Both pilots, two of the band members, including Ronnie Van Zandt and other relatives, were all killed in the crash. Huh. Leonard Skinner. I mean, we're talking major, major band that lives on to this day and popular. What had been a promising future in rock music lay in pieces in the Mississippi swamp. Just after they recorded the Crossroad Blues, all this happens? Isn't that kind of weird? Well, here's another one. Led Zeppelin was famous for lapsing into the treatments. Now, well, who does, what is Led Zeppelin famous for? They're, they're famous for singing the song Stairway to Heaven. Stairway to Heaven was a song that they openly admit was totally... Um, the lyrics and everything about the song were totally given to them through... Um, it was called uh, a specific satanic technique. Automatic writing, where where these guys that make these rock songs, they get possessed by the devil, and they just sit down and they start writing, and they select the hands writing for them, and they're just they're on autopilot. Devil tells them what to do. That whole song, if you play it backwards, um, by Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, there's all kind of things on Hail Satan and all this other stuff backwards. Okay, one of the most satanic songs ever recorded. Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin were the people that brought bought Aleister Crowley's who was the wickedest, reputed to be the most wickedest man alive, they bought his mansion on, um, on the Loch Ness, uh, where we have the Loch Ness Monster, they bought his mansion there on Loch Ness because they liked the vibes they felt. Led Zeppelin, okay? Led Zeppelin was famous for lapsing into treatments of many Robert uh, Johnson's blues songs, including a riveting live version of the Crossroad Blues. It is from... Johnson, that the singer Robert Plant borrowed the famous lyrics for the Lemon song, Squeeze My Lemon Till the Juice Run Down My Leg, whatever that means, arguably one of the best and most influential rock bands ever. Now remember, this is a secular source I'm getting this information from. Led Zeppelin spent the 70s defying gravity and riding their lead balloon to super fame and fortune. Near the end of the 70s, however, the band fell upon bad luck, triggered by the untimely death of Plant's son to septic shock in 1977. Shortly after this, amid rumors of black magic and sexual sadism, guitarist Jimmy Page was battling his own demons, trying to kick a monstrous heroin addiction. In the next several years, Led Zeppelin would lose its drummer, the phenomenal John Bondman, and the manager who had guided them to the supergroup status and beyond, the immatable Peter Grant. So they lost all kind of people, dead. Finally, Kurt Cobain, the father of the grunge movement of the 80s, 1990s, was said to have performed his own acoustic version of the Crossroad Blues. 
while traveling with Nirvana, that was the name of his band, and with family and friends. Cobain considered reworking it for the band to play it live and was said to have been toying with recording a new version of the Robert Johnson classic when his life came to a tragic end. In 1994, Cobain was found on the second floor of his garage at the Washington State dead from a shotgun blast through the head. The circumstances surrounding Cobain's death are still subject of hot debate, with rival camps claiming that Cobain committed suicide, the others claiming he was murdered, in a conspiracy centered around his life. Two people, one former Cobain employee and Seattle cop, widely reviled for having botched the death site investigation, both follow Cobain to their grave. So everything about this song, you do, you perform the song, you better be, you're going to get the same curse on you. You might, you might be able to bewitch people with the song. It was one of the famous, I mean, you know, but that Crossroads curse, man, I think it's the real deal. Um, if you're ever driving through the town of Rosedale, Mississippi, be sure to stop in a place called Leo's Market. Besides serving good food and good talk, this is the home of the Crossroad Blues Society. They've got their own society. The keepers, if you will, Robert Johnson's Crossroad Legacy. If you're lucky, one of the recent visitors, one of the waitresses might show you something. No, that, no not that, but she may show you a curious, wrinkled, old typewritten transcript of someone's spiritual vision about the truth about Johnson's, Johnson's barter with the devil on the crossroads. This vision, you will be told, was revealed to Johnson's fellow businessman, Henry Goodman. And there have been reported sightings of what is to believe Johnson's ghost, with his guitar over his shoulder, walking the river road between Beulah and Rosedale. I wouldn't doubt it. There's the junction. 61 and 49, there's a picture of the, the junction, where it took place. Of course, there's some debate about that. Um... Okay, now, I'm just going to go through this a little bit more here. This is another version of it here. Um, this is just another version. Um, it's kind of redundant for me to repeat it. Uh, and this is where the devil's getting him again. He's making this deal with the devil. Then he, the devil says to him, you know where you're at, Robert Johnson. You're standing in the middle of the crossroads. This is after he's made the deal with the devil. At midnight, the full moon is right over you. Now, if you do this at midnight on a crossroad, <laughs> that's that's another thing. Full moon on, on midnight? Well, well, that would be even worse. Yeah, but, um, these are all things that, that like, with astrology, with which witches and warlocks and people that are operating the cult, they look for. He says, you take this road to the east and you get back to Highway 61 in Cleveland, or you can turn around and go back to Beulah. Now, this is the devil talking to him. Or you can go west and sit up on the levee and look out at the river, but if you take one more step in the direction you're heading, you're going to go to Rosdale at midnight under this October full moon. October full moon? Whew, that's not good. And you're going to have the blues like you've never known in this world. 
My left hand will forever be wrapped around your soul and your music will possess all who hear it. That's what's going to happen. That's what you better be prepared for. Your soul will belong to me. This is just not any crossroads. I put this X here for a reason. I've been waiting for you. Devil's waiting. Devil's waiting. Robert Johnson rolls his head around, his eyes upward in their sockets to stare at the blinding light of the moon, which has not completely filled the pitch black delta night, piercing his right eye like a bolt of fire as the midnight hour hits. He looks at the big man squarely in the eyes and says, Step back, devil man. I'm going to Rosdale. I am the blues. The man moves to one side and says, Go on, Robert Johnson. You get, you, you're the king of the delta blues. Go to your home in Rosdale. But when you get up in town, you better get a plate of those hot tamales because where you're, you're going, you're going to need something in your stomach where you're heading. That's what the devil said. Now, this is where I'm going to end this. There's a, this is a footnote. In the Delta, Lilith wears red shoes. Now, again, I'm seeing all this stuff about Hecti and Lilith. It's all tied in with the crossroads and the devil. And I'm thinking, well, God's trying to show me something because I learned this all the same day, you know? The devil isn't the only one walking the dark country roads of the rural south. If what, if what they say in the folktales and legends is true, Lilith, who's the devil's wife and his old partner in crime, has followed him in their old haunts. Appearing on the roads of America. New you know what they go so far as to say? They say that Lilith was, was um, Adam's first wife. Yep. That's what these people believe. They say Lilith was Adam's first wife that was banished out of the Garden of Eden. In Mississippi and Alabama, it is believed that Lilith, sometimes called Jezebel, Jezebel, huh. We'll be talking more about her. If she's called sometimes called Jezebel, and Hecti's sometimes called Lilith, and Lilith sometimes called Diana, and Mary, the Catholics worship is sometimes called Diana. Mary, they're all interchangeable. They're all devils from the pit of hell, every one of them. They're sometimes called Jezebel, wanders back on the back roads of the countryside, stealing untended babies from cradles. Well, isn't Lilith the goddess of human sacrifice? Or the goddess of, of um, child sacrifice? Yes, she is. That's why she's the one that reigns over the abortion clinics. See how this is all tied together? I just find it, I mean, it's fascinating in a bad way. But it is, it is Satan's devices. So, stealing unattended babies from cradles, making cow's milk go sour, breaking up marriages, and bringing strife wherever she goes. Breaking up marriages? Reminds me of that story you told me about Leslie. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, but I'm just saying, it reminds me of that. Breaking up marriages. And bringing strife wherever she goes. Sometimes she comes to work in... Sometimes she goes to work in unsuspecting households. And before long, she's up to her devil woman tricks. Sometimes she will stay with families and plague them until the last of their line is either run off or is buried. Lilith and her familiar spirits are in many folk songs in the Old South. Um, there's this one song they hear, Go to sleep, little babe, go to sleep, little babe. And then... Um, She's long gone with her red shoes on. Going to need another loving babe. In other words, this thing's stolen the baby. This Lilith, and she appears with red high heel shoes on. And not the weirdest thing. Go to sleep, little babe. In fact, there's a, there's a new show on now in the theaters. It's called The Devil Wears Prada. Whatever Prada is. I, don't, I, I know it's some devil. And it's a picture of a tall, high heeled red shoe. And you know how the, the back end of the shoe comes down? Well, that back end of the shoe is a pitchfork, a red pitchfork. And it says, the devil wears Prada. And it's about these real catty, evil women in this marketing firm. Um, 
Go to sleep, little babe. You and me and the devil makes three. Don't need no other loving babe. Come lay bones on the alabaster stones and be my ever-loving babe. In other words, Lilith has just taken this, this baby for human sacrifice. Old tales say that you can't always tell the devil woman Lilith even if she tries to hide. Or you can always tell the devil woman Lilith even if she tries to hide because she's the one wearing those shiny red new shoes. Tuck it in the back of your mind. I'm not saying that's how the devil always appears with a pitchfork and tail. But I'm telling you, these are things to tuck back in your memory banks. Just how she got those shoes is a tale in and of itself to learn about. Click the following link below to one of our favorite sites. Supposedly what it was is, is, is she went to the devil, or the devil went to her and said, I've been trying to split up this, this loving couple. Normally I can always split up these loving couples, but they're so lovey-dovey, I can't even split them up. The devil told this to Lilith. And Lilith said, don't you worry about that. I'll split them up. I'll split them up. I can take it. And she does. And four, and she does. She splits up this real lovey-dovey couple. And when she goes back to the devil, she says, all I want in exchange is a pair of those red shoes. I don't know. I'm just saying. There's, there's truth, a little bit of truth in everything. Robert got buried in more places than most blues guys. The location of his grave is the only one item in the list of mysteries surrounding his life and a timely death. Um, so, pretty heavy duty stuff. Um, pretty heavy duty stuff. I don't know what time is it. Quarter after one. Oh my word! Okay, well, let me pray real quick. Okay, we'll go ahead and close out in a word of prayer here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord God in heaven. And Lord God, I I, I know that this isn't like the traditional sermon you go to a church and hear, Lord. But God, in this day and time we're living in, I know that that we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and that we need to not be ignorant of Satan's devices, Lord God, because the whole church, the whole body of Christ, if even the very elect, if it were possible, the very elect are being deceived, God. And I just pray, God, that this truth would go forth with boldness and that, Lord God, that, that you would help us, Lord God, to be good soldiers, to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, Lord, as, as the Bible commands in Jude. And Lord God, I believe that that's what this is all about. I pray, Lord God, that um, you'd help us, Lord. And Lord God, for your protective hand to be upon us, that your angels would encamp around about us, God. These in this room, and Lord God, even the people here in this tape, I pray your fear would be upon us. And upon those, Lord God, that you would set us to witness to, I pray, Lord God, that for our family members, God, that you'd save their souls for it, you will, that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance, Lord God. And that, Lord God, that you would contend with our enemies in the name of Jesus Christ, and that you would expose the devil and his devices, Lord God, that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God, for they would wisely consider of your doing, Lord. And Lord, you're the only one that can do it. We can sit here all day and spout out truth and, and this and that, and, but Lord, it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, through your power, that, that the job gets accomplished. We can't do it apart from you. And we're nothing apart from you, Lord. I do pray you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, and form, Lord God. That there would be nothing that would hinder this prayer, Lord God. And that we would forgive any of those that have sinned against us, God. And Lord God, I just pray you bring us back at the next appointed time. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.